Hello and welcome to the Gamers Tavern. Yes, we are back from hiatus and ready to bring you even more gaming goodness than ever before. To start off, I want to let you know that the next couple of episodes are going to be from our archives. These episodes are ones that, for whatever reason, we didn't release in a timely manner when they were recorded. So this episode was recorded back on December 23rd of 2014. Yes, it's over a year old. So there's a few things, a little bit of weirdness going on where we bring up games like Torg or Rifts, where we don't mention that Ross is currently working on the new edition of Torg and the new edition of Rifts that's built around the Savage Worlds game engine. We also bring up uh, Larger Than Life, which was Michael Sherbrooke, our guest, his Kickstarter. Uh, his Kickstarter is actually completed now and the book is out. So we've got links to that in the show notes if you're curious. But even with all that, this is an amazing episode with guest Michael Sherbrooke on the topic of long-term campaigns. And speaking of campaigns, did you know that the Gamers Tavern Shadowrun Live Plays have restarted? You might not know if you don't follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash gamers tavern show or subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com slash meet in a tavern because they're video live streams. We're streaming every Friday live starting at 7 p.m. Central Time with new episodes of the Gamers Tavern Game Table Shadowrun run by our GM, Brendan Gensimer. And if that's not enough for you, we're going to be adding a lot more content to our live streaming channel, including in-character playthroughs of Borderlands 2, a live stream of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines with commentary from actual Onyx Path freelance developers who work on the World of Darkness game, a challenge where I play through various horror-themed games in an attempt to find a horror video game that is, you know, actually scary, and a whole lot more. Expect more announcements coming throughout the month on our schedules. On top of that, we'll be mixing in older recordings from our archives that we haven't released yet during the hiatus with brand new recordings. We've got a brand new book club show coming in a couple of weeks. We've got some special episodes like the one that's going to be coming out in just a couple of days with myself and Ross talking about the new Star Wars film, The Force Awakens. God, that's a lot of stuff. So without further ado, grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner while I tell you just a little bit about Audible. It's a new year, and I know that many of you have decided to start reading more as your New Year's resolution. Don't let that one fall by the wayside. Reading is very important, whether it's a nonfiction book to learn new skills or just a fun novel to help you relax. And audiobooks are a great way to do this, as you can listen at work, when you're exercising, during your commute, or just sitting on the couch with your eyes closed, letting the narrator take you to another world. If you sign up for Audible at audibletrial.com slash tavern, then you can get a book for free. That's right, completely free. Even if you cancel, you get to keep the book just for trying out the service. I actually got uh, The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss for a Christmas present, and I've read it over a dozen times already. I've got a paperback copy. I got a Kindle copy. Now I've got the Audible copy, and to be honest, it's almost a different experience because, hey, I actually know how to pronounce Quoth now. And you want to know something cool? It'll actually sync via WhispernET. So you start listening on your phone at work. You go to your computer when you get home. You switch to your tablet in bed. It's going to save your place every time you pick up right where you left off. And if you have the book on your Kindle app or on your Fire tablet, it's going to sync to that too. So you can switch from the audiobook to the text anytime you want. Just go to audibletrial.com slash gamers tavern and get your free book now. <laughs> And welcome to Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And tonight we have with us a good friend of mine and a game designer and artist, Michael Serbrook. Hello. Welcome to the show, Michael. Glad to be here. 
You know, I just realized that we have been friends for about 12 years at this point. Okay. <laughs> uh, I first became aware of Michael way back in the day, probably in the late 90s when I was in the Army, because he was running pretty much the champion's website, which was called Serbrook Stuff. And I have often credited Michael for sort of keeping that torch burning and allowing the hero system to survive through one of its darkest periods because he was the guy sort of leading the charge on the internet with his page, Serbrook Stuff. Uh, Michael, can you tell us a bit about what Serbrook Stuff is? Uh, Serbrook Stuff is a repository of hero character sheets created by me and others for everything. It is so big that at last edit, it had 8,000 elements in it Jeez. because I'm, I'm, well, I haven't converted it to a C yet, fully converted it to a proper uh, CMS. So it still uses the old flat file nested 1990s style website creation method. There are literally hundreds of character sheets for everything. Um, anime characters, comic book characters, characters from the movies, characters inspired by songs, original characters, characters inspired by odd images that show up on Facebook and the internet. It The running joke on the hero message boards and the hero forums is, does anybody have a character sheet for X? Well, have you checked Mike's site? How long has Cerberus stuff been going for? 1996 or 7. It is in its 15th or so year. And in 2015, any readers who understand Drupal, I am more than willing and happy to take your help because I'll be migrate. I'm migrating it over to a Drupal platform to make adding new material easier and to make searching and archiving the website that much easier. Okay, so now you've been on the show before, Michael. That's correct. Yes. I'm gonna just ask you to give us a brief gaming character sheet, which is gonna be the way that you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, where they might know you from, and the context of the gaming character sheet. I'm going to I'm going to guess. Once again, that it's going to be a hero sheet. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a hero character sheet. Okay. I'm definitely a talented normal. <laughs> Which means I'm built on about 125 points. Um, I used to be a little bit more expensive. Uh, I used to actually have some sword fighting skills and a lot of medieval reenactment skills. But those have kind of gone away as old age has caught up with me. And as Ross said, before we actually started recording, I had less gray in my beard. And uh, I didn't sound like breakfast cereal when I got up in the morning, you know, because <laughs> the body goes snap, crackle, pop. Uh, definitely have good skills and hero knowledge, hero, hero character creation. Based on feedback this year, my PS game designer writer skill has definitely gone up a few points. That's excellent. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, 2014-15 should be some very good years for me. And, and that means for hero fans, very good years for you. Now, you've been working on a big project for Hero lately, which is the Fantasy Hero Complete. Isn't that correct? Yes, it is. That is the Fantasy Answer to Champions Complete. Uh, it was uh, funded by Kickstarter, and I am very pleased to say that as of this moment, this recording right now, we have finished the book and sent the, sent the files off to be to the printer, and at least one person has reported downloading the PDF. Now, for our listeners who don't really know probably what Fantasy Hero is all about, can you kind of explain what Fantasy Hero is or maybe just how it's different from like your typical D&D or Pathfinder game? The major difference is that it's the power of the hero system. You can create whatever you want. 
there are no classes, there are no levels, there are no level caps. And this allows you to play any sort of fantasy game that you want. Uh, one of the things that I talk about in Fantasy Hero Complete is uh, you can play your tokenist, token-ish fantasy where you have, you know, your pretty pretty standard set of dwarves and elves and hobbits and halflings and, and orcs and goblins. Um, but you can also uh, simulate the fantasy of Chinese wuxi novels and wuxi adventures. You can simulate the Greek heroes. You can simulate the Irish, you know, mythos and heroes. So you can have guys who are pretty normal, you know, armor, sword, shield, run around, you know, fight isle bearers and stuff. Or you can have guys who are running along ridge poles and lifting up buildings and throwing a spear through ten guys at a time. Uh, and anything in between. Now, you just said something interesting there. You said the Irish mythos. That actually kind of reminds me of like a combination of Cthulhu and the ancient Celts. You would have, instead of Cuculain, you'd have Cthulhu Culain. You know, uh, when when Cuculain had his madness come on him, that would be a pretty good way to describe him. Daryl groans in pain. My head hurts uh, from head desking. My, my job here is done. <laughs> All right. So now Fantasy Hero Complete as a book, though, it's, gonna t- it's not just going to be a toolkit, right? It's also going to take us and give the reader like ways, like here's some suggestions on how to build some things that you want to make. It's, it's got a lot more than just the toolkit is what I'm getting at. Yes. For example, in the section of powers, I talk about how to build a couple of different magical devices based on your special effects. There is a set of samples. There's actually a whole set sample magic system that I'm actually rather pleased with. Uh, I, I was influenced, I think, a little bit, not by Vancian magic, the indie Vancian magic or, or such, but a little bit uh, more like uh, Roger Zelazny's Mad One and Changeling magic. Are, and actually, uh, I will admit the phrasing, um, I was also influenced a lot by Matt Wagner's Mage. Magic is a river and you're dipping into it and, 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 and uh, altering the flow with your will. So that was the magic system I came up with, uh, which was actually very modular. So, in fact, if you want to be a Vancian mage, that's one of the options. I just tell you how to do that. Just add this this limitation and boom, you have a fire and forget mage. Okay. And I've always thought that one of the neat things about Fantasy Hero is it kind of removes a lot of preconceptions that come with things like D&D and Pathfinder. It's, it's a way to play a fantasy RPG in a way that I think a lot of people have never really seen. Uh, I agree. The setting, in fact, there is a sample setting that was funded through the Kickstarter, which I'm very pleased with, mainly because I got to I got to take something that I'd written for my own amusement, and the and uh, the guys at Hero said, "Yeah, we we can use that. That sounds good." So my fanfic became a campaign setting. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's and awesome. There'll be a there'll be an adventure run for that at Gen Con for one lucky uh, backer who paid for the right to have me run a game for him, and five other people uh, who, according to Hero Games, will be drawn from Gaming Notables. So, in fact, I may lobby for certain people on the show to be in the game. Oh! (laughs) Well, I would definitely enjoy that. Um, I've played in some of Mike's games before, and they've always been fun. So, you've given us your your basic gaming character sheet, and our topic tonight, of course, is going to be about long-term campaigns. And we're going to get back to that because we're going to ask you a little bit about, you know, I want you to think about the things that you've uh, you've done in terms of long-term campaigns. But before we get there, uh, we're going to talk about what we've been playing lately here on the show. 
And as always, I'm going to start with my co-host, Daryl Mott. Because we're recording this just before the Christmas holiday. And uh, wait, we are doing uh, what we're playing right with, right? Merry Christmas to all our listeners. And yes, we are recording right before Christmas Eve. This is December 23rd, 2014. Sorry, my cats were doing something. I zoned out for a second. So we, wait, we, quick, put it on the wait, internet. On the internet. <laughs> I, I missed it. They ran behind a box. That's why I couldn't. But, but yeah, we're recording this right before Christmas. And my cousins, my little cousins' kids have been talking about this game. It's something about like uh, Freddy in a like a uh, like a like a Chuck E. Cheese type place, and you're a security guard. It sounds really fun and uplifting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to giving it a try this weekend. I don't know anything about what oh, you just said. I've never heard of that game at all. No, there's a there's a game online that's uh basically it is one of the creepiest goddamn games I've ever seen in my life. Should uh, I tell the, you it has a sequel? It does. I, I, I actually, made a sequel already. Yeah, that's that's the one I actually got to play around with a little bit was the sequel. Oh my Jesus Christ! No, 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 never again. Nope, 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 nope. What what is the name of this game for? Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Yep, it is. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I I couldn't remember it either off the top of my head. But yeah, oh my, you're a security guard in an overnight place where it's kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese sort of uh, family pizza place, except the animatronics come to life at night. And all you have is a flashlight and a music box to keep them at bay. And you hold a mat and you have to pull a mask down over your head so that you look like one of them so they don't kill you, except the one that will kill you if you don't flash the light at them. But if you flash the light, it attracts the other ones. And it's just shit, man. It'll freak you the hell out. It's kind of like Night at the Museum, but, but awful. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, it's a it's... resource management game where you have to balance all these different factors at TIS 5. All right. Yeah. So that's what I've been been playing lately. <laughs> but I've also been playing uh, Pathfinder, and I did get to watch. Uh, there was a live stream that Cat uh, uh, Nine and a couple other people did from Runner Hub on Reddit, and oh, yeah. they, they live streamed their game of Shadowrun. That was really cool. It was like their prime runners, and Cat uh, Nine was playing uh, someone called Kitten, who was a mage, huh. huh? Who was absolutely nothing like Molly Mayhem until the final confrontation. When she, confrontation when she blowed everybody up. Wow. Like, it was like Saul and the Halloweeners bad. <laughs> oh, for any of our listeners who have heard the Shadowrun actual play, just wait till you see Saul and the Halloweeners, because holy cow. Yeah. But, so, we got that. I think, no, I think we did air that one. Okay. Yeah, we have, we have aired, that one's up already. But, yeah, uh, that's what it was like. But go ahead and check out. I don't have the Twitch channel with me right now, but I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. I believe they've got it archived on there, and they're going to be putting up an edited version as well. So check that out. And if you're interested in jumping on and organized play for Shadowrun, Runner Hub at uh, reddit.com slash r slash Runner Hub. Okay. I'm, I'm actually going to go next. I haven't been playing a lot lately because the holidays are just horrible for trying to schedule anything. Um, Role-playing-wise, I actually haven't been playing anything. I've been kind of working on the Birthright game in the background, but I did get a chance to play some Xbox games, and I've uh, tried out Grand Theft Auto 4, which I didn't really enjoy very much. And then I tried Grand, Th- Grand Theft Auto 5, which is, like, way, way, way better. So big thumbs up for Grand, Grand Theft Auto 5. That's like the Although, Grand Theft Auto 5. That's the Sopranos meets Breaking Bad one, isn't it? Uh, sort of. I mean, I haven't got too far into it. Honestly, I it, playing both of those made me wish there was another Saints Row game instead. Because <laughs> I really enjoyed the Saints Row games way more than I have the Grand Theft Auto ones. Uh, but there you go. 
And on top of that, of course, I've been playing through Star Trek Online. We're in the winter event now. Q's Winter Wonderland. And uh, it's, it's crazy, as always. And again, if anybody out there wants to uh, get together and make a fleet for the Gamers Tavern, don't hesitate to contact me. That's what I've been up to lately. I'm hoping to play some more games very, very soon. And of course, we're publishing some more Shintar books. We got, um, we got a book out called God Strike Tempest. And we're uh, getting some more products on the way even now. We got some being written by Ed Greenwood for Shintar, which is really exciting. And I'm going to turn it over to Mike Serbrock. What have you been playing lately? Uh, Computer-wise, I finally completed a classic. I succeeded in defeating Destroyer in Borderlands. So oh, I, nice. I completed my first play to play playthrough of that. Uh, I was decided to play that because, of course, they released Borderlands pre-sequel, which I completed my first playthrough of that as well. Um, oh, man, I'm so jealous. I had a great deal of fun with that. And I leveled up my Gunzerker to over level 50 and are now rampaging through Captain Scarlet's uh, adventure after going through Mr. Torg. Of course. Because we all want pecs and explosions. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that sentence had too many syllables. Many syllables. Apologize. Apologize. <laughs> yeah, somebody was like, I didn't like Mr. Torque's uh, uh, adventure. I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> um, on the tabletop side, we are playing through an Iron Claw campaign, uh, which you, is... Did you, uh, wrestle, did you wrestle a shark wearing a bolo tie? <laughs> well, you might ask me who was wearing the bolo tie. Answer, yes. <laughs> uh, no, the, the, actually, the line from the Iron Claw game was, I think I just drowned a bear. <laughs> now, what's Iron Claw for the listeners? Iron Claw is the anthropomorphic fantasy RPG. For all of those familiar with Savage Worlds, it uses a similar die mechanic. All your stats and uh, your skills and stats are all determined by die size, D4 to D12. And uh, instead of uh, class, you have professions instead of classes, and you have species instead of races. So I am a red fox ranger. We have a tiger barbarian, a horse paladin, a badger priest, a bat burglar, and another tiger who's a spy. Interesting. And we're trying to save a kingdom from invasion from uh, soldiers from a we now found out to be a parallel dimension. Hmm. So it's got it went from fantasy to kind of strange. <laughs> are the are the enemies honey badgers? No, uh, no. Although one of the players was going to be a honey badger before he switched. Okay. <laughs> um, we're also playing Fantasy Craft, which is our Sunday game. And we uh, we just gained a couple new players. And one of the guys, and this is actually uh, kind of funny, one of the guys is familiar with Pathfinder and D&D and so on. But I think he shucked all that to the side when he found out that one of the starting races in Fantasy Craft is a giant. Nice. And he was just like, I get to be a giant? And he thinks that's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I want to shift into our Tavern Tales section now. We're going to ask you to give us a story of a very uh, memorable die roll. Okay. Um, I, in fact, uh, will go right back to our Fantasy Craft game. As I mentioned, we have two new players. And people who are familiar with, say, D&D or Pathfinder may, you know, often think, hey, I rolled a 20, that automatically means I get a crit. <laughs> but in Fantasy Craft, you actually have to activate your crits by spending your action dice or action chips, just like the GM can activate your ones as failures by spending his own action points. So I, I, uh, we're fighting some 
crypt somethings. Crypt keepers? Uh, something like that. I, I, I actually wrote down what they were. And uh, there's a standard enemy rule in Pathfinder and a MOOC rule, which is uh, they don't have hit points. They just fall over when they fail a death check. And if you roll a 20 and spend an action point, they automatically fail a death check. So I roll a 20, and I'm telling one of the new players, I said, hey, look, see, I rolled a 20. I can, I can hand the GM an action chip. I hand him the action chip. And he fails a death check, and he falls over. And the GM goes, unless he has toughness, in which case you have to do it again. So I said, oh, well, for my second action, I'll hit him again. Bam. And I rolled a 20. So as you can see, I can take my action chip, activate the 20, and it's the GM. <laughs> as I was saying. <laughs> and, and, it's, and I do believe that in between all of that was the comment, well, if I have to roll, if I roll another 20, I can, oh, well, uh, um, yeah, here you go. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> now, how long have you guys been playing that game? Uh, we are in our second set of sessions. We we uh, we played Fantasy Craft from levels one to five, which took a little while. Took a break for some Call of Cthulhu, which was fun. And we're back to Fantasy Craft, and we should be leveling up again soon. So we've been playing it, I think we're in our 11th, 12th session now. Maybe more. I, I have, I no, we're more than that. We're like up, up we're definitely over 10 sessions. Well, that's good. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. That actually has a lot to do with tonight's topic, which is long-term campaigns. And one of the things I think we should define early on is what is a long-term campaign? And I'm going to ask Daryl to answer that question. Daryl, for you, what do you think a long-term campaign means? When I get three sessions in a row almost. <laughs> uh, have, you never, have you never played a campaign that lasted more than three? Well, no. Just that I'll, I, I seem to have this somewhere between three and seven sessions section. Where if I can get past that, the, the game lasts six, nine, 12 months. But if I can't get over that three to four, five session hump, it dies. And it, it doesn't matter if it's the, what the excuses are. It doesn't matter if it falls on Christmas day. And so no one can show up because everyone's doing their family stuff or everyone gets Ebola. It doesn't matter. If I can't get that fourth <laughs> session, the campaign's dead. But okay. usually I, I would define something long-term as at least, uh, probably eight to ten sessions in a row with the same characters in the same group of, and more or less the same group of players uh michael do you agree with that uh well now that i've taken a note of some of the games that have run that long sure that sounds like a good number because it gives me <laughs> lots of possibilities to work from <laughs> like i said i was i was actually going to say a long term in my mind a long-term game isn't mostly number of sessions it's like we've been playing this game more than a year I would say so that depending on how you do your sessions, that could be anywhere from 12 to 20. Yeah. But I think the, the, the reason why I kind of shy away from time as a measurement is because you can have games that go so long in between sessions, right? Like you could have a game that plays once every six months. True. true. And is that really a lot? You know, does that really count as, I mean, I don't know. It depends. I think I, 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 well, I'm sorry, uh, but I do think actually if you're breaking double digits, if you're getting the 10 or 12 sessions or more, yeah, that's actually these days getting pretty long term because my Friday night group, it's six to eight sessions. We switch GM, switch game engine. You know, that's, that's a follow-up question I wanted to ask was what is, you think is a typical length for a campaign? And, and in my opinion, if I, if I can start us out, I think that right about six sessions is that sweet spot where most campaigns that I've been in that I have experienced or I've seen, that's where they typically stop is around six, six to eight sessions. A lot of this is colored by growing up in the late seventies. So D and D games never, no, 
art role-playing games as a whole, uh, the revelation uh, or the revelation of, hey, you know, I can have a pre-planned arc and we're going to have a beginning, a middle, and an end and actually draw it to a close, never came around, um, you know, you would have Champions games or D&D games that have been going on for years, sessions that were maybe hitting triple digits because nobody ever thought about how they could do a complete campaign arc as opposed to story arcs. Um, it wasn't until I met you and uh, gamed with you with, with some things like Shadows Angeles and such that the idea of the GM already having an end game in mind and, 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 a, and, and a complete beginning, middle, end arc for, the, for what he wants to have happen overall was something very new to me. I was very used to open-ended games just went on until people got bored and, and then nobody, everybody decided to do something different. Interesting. Well, I, I do want to return to a lot of things you brought up there, but first I want to make sure that Daryl gets a chance to chime in here. What do you think a typical cam campaign length is in terms of number of sessions, Daryl? Like I said, for me, it's really difficult to pin down even a session number because it varies so much depending on where I'm at, who the group is, and a lot of cases, how old I was at the time. Is when I was in my, when I was in my teenage years, in my early twenties, I was in college. We had nothing better. We had classes and then we had free time. So it was easy to get a group together. It's like, okay, we're going to play every Friday night because we got nothing better to do because we live in a small town and none of us drive. So we all hang out and we play every, and we play for two, three years straight. But then you get, when you get into your later twenties or your thirties, it gets a lot harder to schedule something that regularly because real life interrupts. The older you get, the more responsibilities you have. So right now I would say I feel lucky if I get six sessions out of a single campaign. Uh, I usually, when I plan out mine, I try to go in arcs of 10 sessions. Whenever I plan out my campaign, it's like, okay, here's my idea for the first arc. It's going to be 10 sessions and then it's going to have like, and I like put in beats here and there, kind of like a, and I plan it out kind of like a season of a show along the lines of Buffy or whatever, where it's like, okay, there's an overarching plot, but each, individual things that stand alone, but it's going to tie into the overall plot here, 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 and here. And that's, that's just the way I do it. And so I usually go for 10 sessions is yay. I actually finished the arc, but you, but I heard the number six in there somewhere too. So I think that we're kind of on the same page because I never make it, I never make it that far. I always hit that <laughs> three, four, five sessions, and then nothing. Well, that's a, that raises a really interesting question. Michael, I'm going to throw this one to Michael. Why do so many campaigns stop after only a few sessions? And a few could be, you know, any, anywhere from three to six or, you know, as we said. I think it's easier to plan for the short arcs than it is to try to plan, have a, a long-term plan, and to maintain the energy to run over the long term. Uh, I know that if if I was going to, run for my Friday night group, I can, you know, a three, I can say three sessions, six sessions. That's pretty easy to do. 12, 14, 16 sessions. That's a lot of investment of time and planning and energy. And if I'm just not feeling it, it's going to be, you know, it's, it, it may be like, look, it's, I just can't keep it going but over the short term, over three sessions or so, six sessions, I think you can keep the energy up and people are pretty enthusiastic about it. I mean, if the, game really grabs people and they want to keep going. That's one thing. But I think, I think maybe it's, I don't know if it's, if it's just the way we think now or 
you know, it's just a, uh, interest isn't isn't as there because there's so many things to pick from. So it's hard. You know, we really have to have something special to keep everybody's attention. But I think it's just easier to work with those shorter arcs. Well, I think you nailed something right on the head, head there that I want to talk about, and that's the the energy level. Okay, and I've often thought that the energy level of the game is going to be the one thing that sort of determines whether it's going to live or die as a long-term campaign. Now, this is kind of a tangent. I know we're kind of wandering down this this road kind of off uh, the beaten track here, but I think... Attachment is, on Gamer's Tavern? Say it isn't so. Yeah, I know, really. Uh, but seriously, I think I think it's that, that energy level I think is critical, and this is where I, you know I come from is I think why so many game sessions stop at six is probably because of that energy level, because people get distracted by... Something else, you know, ooh, new shiny, you know, uh, game is out or, or this other thing we haven't done for a while or they'll be talking about it uh, on a forum, you know, or they'll just get together someday and say, hey, you know, we haven't played Rifts in a while. And the next thing you know, they get really energized about that. So I think a lot of it is it kind of comes down to the energy level of the group. And I, I hate to say this because it, it really feels uh, like you're singling people out. But I think the GM is kind of the guy who needs to put the most of that energy in he need if you if you have someone who's really excited about running the game i think that's going to carry over to the players in uh, novel writing there's something that a lot of people talk about it's called the quagmire that is the middle of the novel when you're trying to write something the first 100 pages will come really really fast the ending you know what the grand ending of your novel is going to be it's that middle 200 pages that is a slog. You're waist deep in a swamp, quagmire stuck, trying to drag all these plot elements to the end. And I think that might be where a lot of the campaigns, or at least my campaigns, tend to fall apart is they get all those adventure hooks right up. They get the big overall plot hooked in them right at the beginning. First two sessions. Yay. Awesome. And then they have to slog through all the middle part. Okay. So we have to go get five MacGuffins from five different places. And we got the second one. Okay, where's the third one at? And it gets boring because it doesn't seem like anything's advancing. They're just like, they're stuck in that quagmire trying to get to the end goal, but the momentum dies. Well, m- momentum definitely, yeah, I think that's that's definitely true. Michael? Actually, I, I think, uh, I find I'm agreeing. Uh, the analogy about actually novel writing brings up something that I've often said uh, about Stephen King, which is... Uh, his short stories are often much more energetic and and tightly constructed than his novels, especially when you see things like Under the Dome and all that, because you've only got so much time to tell your story. So I think it applies for game mastering. If you're running a short game, you can really craft it pretty tightly. You can really make sure everything's there because you've, you've only got so many elements to deal with, but when you start extending it out, You've got to sort of start stretching or, or, or redoing, you know, you've got, to, you've got to try to fill in what's going on and you've got to try to recraft that sequence of events. You know, it's a different plot, it's a different enemy, it's a different adventure. But once again, you've got to kind of do this a couple of times over and it can get a little, it can get exhausting to try to, try to have that level of detail. I mean, a Gen Con game uh, can be, you know, especially with pre-generated characters, can be ridiculously well-crafted so that everybody has something to do. But you take that same campaign and you go from one session of four hours to eight to 10, 12 sessions of five to six hours each. And there may be parts in there where, they, where you're just not feeling it because uh, you just can't get that spark every single time you sit down behind the, uh, at the table. 
I wonder, and this is a question I want to throw out there, do you think that some of this actually comes from the players? And I mean that like a player kind of comes up with a character and they play him for, you know, four or five, six sessions and they just get, you know, uh, you know, I think I've gotten everything out of this character I'm going to get. You see that a lot with the uh, people who make kind of gimmicky characters. I had one guy in the Pathfinder game I ran for about six to eight months where it seemed like every fourth session he's like, eh, I'm bored with this character. I'm going to make a new one. And it's just because he kept trying to go for one concept. And when he got that concept nailed down, it's like, okay, I, there's nothing to it. There's no, his characters never had any backstory. They never really had any personality to them. That was just stats on a page to him. So that, that was one thing that probably, when you do that, not, not saying that's a bad thing, cause I do concept characters all the time, but when you keep switching characters like that, it's hard to get that character attached to the world or to the plot even. I will second that. There's a campaign that we've talked about a lot, and I know it's been mentioned a lot on this show, Shadows Angeles. And when Ross was running it, there was a lot of energy going back and forth between the GM and the players. So I think uh, when the GM, when Ross was like, well, I'm 16 ep- ep- episodes in or 18 episodes in, and, you know, it, 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 I, there's, I, and I've still got some more planned but I think he'd sit down and he'd see the enthusiasm the players had. It would invigorate him. And then we would sit down and, you know, Ross would start uh, rolling the plot out and we would, and, and we would see how, and it would invigorate us and the players invigorated each other. So I think if you have a bunch of people who are just there to throw dice and move, you know, a, a, a set of stats through the dungeon, collect treasure, they might as well be playing, I don't know, Skyrim, World of Warcraft, you know, any other game or Borderlands where you can do the exact same thing and you don't, and you can, you know, you don't, you don't need to worry about another person. You can just, you can just hack and slash your way and, 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 and try out your trick, tricksy, you know, uh, gimmick character on your own. Because if you've got a bunch of guys who are playing cardboard cutout players who aren't interested in the plot, I'm certainly not going to be interested in running for them anymore. Well, it's good. I think you said a couple things there that are interesting. Number one, we're definitely going to bring up Shadows Angels a few times tonight, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, number two, I think the thing you brought up that is about the investment in the character. Yes. And yeah. I think a gimmick character, you know, one that's mechanically interesting, but not necessarily interesting in terms of the game itself. Yeah, it probably loses its luster after a little while. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing a one trick, I found these feats that really let me exploit Pathfinder, a D&D character, uh, that's fine, but, you know, you're, you're metagaming there. You're just playing a set of feats. You know, if you're playing a, a gimmicky superhero character whose gimmick is, you know, I throw boomerangs or something, I mean, now you can have a lot of fun with that, but that's, you know, that's a style of play, and, and that's a different terminology of gimmick. Well, I'm going to throw two more things out there. I think one of the reasons, you know, two more reasons why campaigns stop after only a few sessions is because either the system... Or the campaign itself, like the tone or the group, you know, are just not gelling after, I mean, you know, five to six sessions is enough time to find out, right? If this is the group I want to play with or if this is the system I want to play in. At least, yes. at least for me, that's something I, I have found. Is that also true for you guys? Yes. Um, the Friday night group, the reason why, we, you know, playing for six sessions, we have cycled through, we're playing Blood and Honor right now and we've played uh, Legends of the Wu Lin. And I know the Legends of the Wu Lin game just, ground to a halt and got migrated over to Hero because the system turned out to be just uh, very unwieldy for us. It took forever to run a fight 
Um, it took forever to actually do anything in combat. And it just, we just, it was just decided this was, this is not the system we want to use for what we're trying to get at. You had something uh, similar to that recently, didn't you, Ross? A couple months ago? Maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're referring to exactly. So I, I want to say it was Rifts that you were, tra- you were trying to run a Rifts game, but the system just, it wasn't working. So you ended up switching to Savage Worlds. Oh, uh, I think that was not Rifts. I think that was, um, that was actually Torque. Oh. And that was a few months ago, yes. We, we started out trying to play Torg. Now, Torg is very similar to Rifts. I can see why you, you made that connection there. Uh, yeah, we were playing Torg, and the rules just – I mean, not that Torg is a bad system. We've talked about Torg on the show before quite a bit. Uh, it's just that it was very, very difficult for everyone to understand how to play it. And Savage Rules is just a much more accessible rule set. I think even Ed Stark would agree with that. You think he was our guest for the Torg, uh, Torg yep. episode? I was gonna say it's not, so, that, it's not that we have anything against Torg. We did a whole episode on the game, right? So, right. well, well, there's a setting specifically, but yes. Yep. And uh, the the accessibility was a factor there, where we switched over to Savage Worlds and just made it sort of easier for everyone to to, to understand and grok what we were doing. So I yeah. think I think those are all really interesting bits there. But let's um let's take a second and just make it really clear for the listeners. We're not here to bash short-term campaigns or say that one is better than the other, right? Cause there's no, there's absolutely no reason why you can't have fun with just one game, like a one shot. I've had so many fun. I've had so many great one shots before I've had great games that lasted only two or three sessions before. Right. I just want to make it clear. We don't have an agenda here by coming out and saying, Oh, long-term is better. Rawr. That's not what we're doing. That's not what I'm doing, right? <laughs> well, actually, actually, Ross, I can agree with you. When uh, when I decided to run for my Friday night group, I actually ran Iron Claw and Feng Shui, and I ran each one was two sessions, so I ran four total sessions. I I said, you know, I even came up. I was up front. I said, look, guys, these aren't going to be very long. Give you a taste of the system, show how the mechanics work. I don't have a lot of major plot, but nobody minded. And uh, on the flip side, you know, they, uh, Iron Claw went over both went over very well. But the one thing I was very pleased with. Um, was how fast and how appreciative the players were of Feng Shui. It was kind of a revelation of how the game worked uh, for some of them. And it was kind of nice in the second session for the, to have the one guy go, okay, I've got this figured out now. I can declare that these guys are standing on linoleum. I was like, yeah. And I can use my shotgun to bounce the, 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 the pellets off the linoleum and uh, the special, you know, instead of killing them, I'll just take them all out with every success I do. Nice. It's like, perfect, go for it. <laughs> That's the uh, gunsmith cat's method right there. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love that show. So now, yeah, we, I'm glad we all got that reference. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? I have all the manga. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that, yeah. So we're saying that short terms can be good, yes. right? But the, but I think that, you know, obviously what we're talking about tonight is kind of what is the difference, you know, what makes the long-term campaign difference and, and why and why is that good and how, how can you get there is kind of where we're going with this yes it, it does have two really different feels to it a short term versus a long term a long term campaign feels a lot more like a, at least a good one feels like a really cool tv series i brought up buffy the vampire slayer already uh, yes firefly yes. or uh supernatural constantine seems to be going that way right now uh well, well when you say long term and firefly in the same sentence you make some people's hearts hurt oh uh, i i apologize <laughs> uh, that was that was, but i'm talking about is sort of more of a long form fiction if you look at just the those 13 brilliant episodes but although one shot if, if by our definition though 13 sessions would be a long term campaign that's why it was in my head that way because i'm thinking of these one shots or one and twos as a movie 
So I can still, I can still sit here and enjoy a feature film without it having to be one, without having to have 18 sequels after it. Matrix. Um. <laughs> so Ross will understand this reference because you said movie, Daryl. Mm-hmm. My thought was then Rod Curry's superhero campaigns that he ran at Gen Con was the hero system version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because each one was a standalone movie, but he ran them Gen Con after Gen Con. So you had a series of interconnected movies that ran into one long yeah. sequence. I think we talked about that on, on the superhero episode, didn't we? I think we did. Yeah, there's this guy, Rod Curry, and he ran these games at Gen Con every year for several years. And they were all, just like Michael said, they were all interconnected, but they were also standalone. And it was it was a really interesting draw, not only for that, but also because his games were very heavily prioritized, meaningful choices, moral dilemmas, and character development over combat. And, you know, using your powers and stuff like that was, was something you did, but it wasn't – it typically was not the key to the game. Um, they were they were really, really well done. And I I, I want to say, you know, clearly on the show, thank you, Rod, because uh, those games were amazing and it taught me a lot about what's important in a, in a good superhero game. And I do want to go back to something Mike said a while back when he was talking about the Shadows Angeles uh, campaign that you guys played in where they're <laughs> – I didn't get to play in it, damn it. I want to talk about it too. But okay. <laughs> what, I, what the thing he brought up was how the players would get more energized and that would make you more energized in running the game, which would make them more energized. And it became kind of a feedback loop. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's one of the great things you can have with a long term campaign. But it's also, we were talking about things that can kind of stymie a long term campaign. If you get that quagmire sense, that can become a feedback loop where if the players aren't really into the story, they're just kind of, like Mike said, moving stats around a dungeon. And that puts all the onus of the plot on the DM or the GM. And then he gets bogged down. It's like, oh, do I have to write more stuff for this to make a story out of it? And then it leads to burnout a lot. Well, you know, burnout is uh, definitely a thing I wanted to bring up as a kind of a, one of the, the things about a long-term campaign is that it can definitely cause people to have burnout. There could be moments where you're just like, I don't want to deal with this anymore, right? <laughs> or it's like, um, I, I just cannot come up with anything new this week. Can we just play a one-shot of something else, and then you play a one-shot, and then you forget the campaign? <laughs> it, can, it can be like that. It can be a thing where I, would, I just want to take a break, and the next thing you know, you'd never get back to it. Uh, well, I'm sure that's happened before, too, right? I'm sure there's been people who have you know planned out like a 20-session game, and then they get to session six or seven, and they're like, I need, I need a break, and it just... It's it's a, it's a term that Michael used, momentum. You lose that momentum. And the holidays, I think, actually, uh, November and December are like the worst momentum killers <laughs> yes. yep. of the year when it comes to that. So when you're planning out a campaign and, and you are trying to do, like, you know, maintain momentum over the, the holidays, that's something you watch out for, right, is is try and find a way to to keep people involved and remember, you know, keep, send out an email every week. Hey, guys, don't forget, we're playing again. <laughs> Stay uh, with me here. And there's funny you should mention email. But I was going to say the second, the second biggest killer probably, especially when you're in late teens, early 20s, is finals. Yeah. When you're in you college. Know, I, that can definitely be a thing. I had, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in college, but that's true. Michael, I'm sure he's got something he wants to talk about right away. But I wanted before we get there, I want to ask another question. So we talked about that this is not necessarily commercial for long-term campaigns. But what makes the long-term campaign different? What makes it awesome? I can answer that. 
I have been in, I've either been or run by our definition, three long-term campaigns. My own Kaze five setting ran for several years, 30 some odd, 35, 40 turns, monthly turns. So you can do the math there. That's a play by, uh, play by email, correct? Play by email. And it was, it was a heavily, it was, it was all story driven. So there was, it was, people had character sheets and so on, but a lot of it ended up being, uh, you submitted moves or you submitted ideas and the coordinator would kind of get feedback. What, what he felt was a good idea or what, or he would draw people together and say, okay, guys. And it was all, it was more like cooperative fan fiction than a game, but it, it, it still felt, um, in a game fashion. But what happened was I ended up with this wealth of background material, of world building, of characters and, and concepts and ideas. He's not talking to you, Michael. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I, apparently, I'm not going through my mixer. I'm on, on there. No, my, my cats are fighting. I'm trying to tell them not to. I muted my mixer, but apparently my sound is going through my computer right now. My apologies for interrupting. Michael's looking so confused right now. <laughs> I'm so I, confused. I thought I was supposed to hear me here to talk. <laughs> sorry. So wait, wait, wait. Okay, so... Before I go back to what I was saying, and I'll start over, I just have to state the funniest fallout that I have seen so far of the North Korea hack Sony meme is the cartoon that says, well, if if North Korea tells them to put Firefly back on the air, I won't complain. <laughs> <laughs> my, fa- my favorite was, okay, okay, Kim, now tell them to bring back Firefly and get Michael Bay off Transformers. Oh, and the other one was and give Spider-Man back the Marvel. <laughs> so, so we um, just dated this podcast. Okay, so uh, as I was saying, um, and the thing is, is it actually turned out to be a huge benefit when it came time for me to do my uh, do the full sixth edition source book for Kaze Five. I had five years of material to like look at and cherry pick from the ideas I and and comments and concepts from the players I like best as well as NPCs where I could go hey can I include this guy in the book and pretty much everybody was like you want to do that sure so the other one was um the well of the worlds which I ran for 16 sessions it also let me build the world and gave me ideas and, and sort of filled out concepts once again and gave me kind of a a neat long, long story arc. And that when I wrote it up for Haymaker, uh, the hero APA, I felt pretty pleased with it. Sounded very uh, pulp action, action packed and adventurous. So I thought I did a pretty good job there. The third one was Shadows Angeles, which initially for the first one, note that stress, ran for 24 sessions. And it is now, it's, uh, the second one ran for seven, and then one ran for nine, and another one ran for nine. And when you total that up, you're hitting 40 sessions by three different game masters of one setting. And the timeline is advanced, the characters have evolved. Because the time between each arc is, the campaign is like five to ten years the players grow the characters that were in the earlier games are still there. They're older. Some have died off. There's, you know, you now are in a living world and, and it's just, uh, it's something that when Ross sat us all down, uh, almost 10 years ago, Ross, <laughs> 2005 ish. Yeah. I know. Uh, none of us could have predicted 
that our uh, Saturday group would be talking about another game. And we're all talking about what characters we're going to play and so on. But it, it just continues to live and it continues to uh, feed on itself. So we bring new people in and they, they're like, this is really awesome. I love this setting. This is great. I want to, you know, so you, so that enthusiasm feeds on itself and you, but you can also say, yeah, we've got all this background that you can work with now, things that players have come up with, things the GM has come up with, you know, things that he's accepted and, and incorporated and, and added in and then that we've grabbed and run with. Daryl, have you played in a, a really long-term campaign? Uh, it depends on your definition of long-term. It's not going to meet you guys for sure, but uh, I have run a couple of games that lasted almost uh almost a year i ran one that lasted over a year and i have played in one that went off and on for about i don't know if it would count as a long-term campaign because it wasn't really the same group of characters it was mostly the same players but it was the same world and previous adventures affected future adventures even if it wasn't the same characters so like in this one, in, uh, in campaign that we played a year before, we assassinated this evil king. When we come back, there's now chaos in that kingdom, completely different group of players, but there's chaos in that kingdom because there was a power vacuum and everyone's now trying to vow for the, for the throne. It's like civil war. Mm. So I don't know if you would count that one or not, but that one, that one we played off and on for about three or four years. I would. Yeah, I'd count that. Uh, you know, I've been really lucky with running games actually running and playing long-term campaigns in the course of my career, I think I have played in or ran at least a dozen long-term campaigns. And I got to say, for me, like my personal preference is I really enjoy the long-term campaign. I like the idea that I can I could take a character from one place. I've, I've said this often. Take a character from one place and have them end in a very different place. Give them an arc, you know. Character development. Yeah, character development. And I think the long-term campaigns really, in my opinion, I feel, give me more of an opportunity for that than than a lot of short-term ones that I have been in. So I I tend to, just for me personally, because of my preference, you know, put a lot of weight on the long-term ones and a lot of investment into them in terms of this is something I really enjoy. I honestly didn't even think about it for a long time. For for a long time when I was playing games, and I've I've been playing role-playing games, you know, for 30 years now, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but uh, there was a time, especially in high school, we would just play, you know, we would do six games of one thing and then we'd play some, six games of another thing and it was no big deal. And we just kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that. And right, I think it was like right after graduation, really, my friend Brad, he comes to me and he says, you know, what we have never done is play, taken a character from first level in D&D all the way to 20th. He's like, I'd really like to do that. And that's when I first started thinking about like what makes a long-term campaign different. You know what that investment and that that time and that 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 character development what that can really mean. So to me, it's it's a meaningful thing to say it's a long term campaign, and, and I'm I'm really really pleased to be able to say you know I have had like a dozen of them in my time, and that's one of the reasons why I was really excited about tonight's topic because I think it's a really important thing to get out there and talk to people and get them thinking about it. You know what the differences are and what what maybe they can get out of maybe like maybe if they're like me or maybe if they're not like me that's okay. I, but there, there's always going to be something, I think, special about a long-term campaign. Yeah, anytime you run a game that long, if everyone's at least half-assing it, honestly, you don't even have to try that hard. But you're still going to have more of an investment because 
you've spent so much more time in it. You're more connected to the world, to the events, to the NPC characters. You actually care what happens to this town that you keep. It's not just a resupply station. That's where Inga the barmaid is. She hates your guts, but she still gives you a discount. Yeah. Uh, Michael, do you have something to say about investment? The idea of investment for a long-term campaign? I know I'm invested in a couple of long-term games because I, you're right. It's sort of what Daryl was saying. It was, it became more than just stats or it became more than just, it became a place. It became people. It became characters I identified with and characters that I wanted, I wanted to see grow and develop. And it, it becomes, it becomes real to me and it becomes something I want to grow. I want to see it grow. I want to help it grow. So I, I don't want to set it aside. It, it, it's, and, and when somebody says, you know, hey, we're going to run something else or I'm going to run something set in this setting, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to be part of that. I want to, I want to continue to see what, what, what's going to happen next, what the next guy is going to do with it. So the, the past investments in the character pays off in future enthusiasm. I'll give you an example. I knew that I was invested in the Daybreak Rising game, and this is the one we played with Yar. Uh, it was a fantasy hero game with uh, Stephen Furlani was kind of like the center central figure in this game. He was playing a knight called Sir Patris Nolman. And we had ended up all kind of playing characters that revolved around Patris to some extent. And I knew the moment that I was invested in this game because we had played, I think we played maybe three or four different sessions of it. And I got to the point where I was starting to plan out what I wanted to do to help Patris reach his, his major goal. I believe we were at some... Uh, manor house and there was an upcoming discussion of a tournament mm -hmm. you remember what i'm talking about here yes and i made like my character made a decision to assassinate one of his rivals and i was like i am invested in this game i am i am doing this because i'm excited i i want to you know see my impact uh my i want to see the impact of my meaningful decisions on this story and i gotta say on the flip side of that behind the screen one of the most rewarding things ever is that moment when you realize the players are as invested as in the story as you are, or the characters. I still remember that game I was running at the store. This is the one that lasted over a year, where uh, we'd done the first we'd done the first major arc. They'd beaten the big bad, and then I put them up, and they didn't know what was going on. But they, I put them up against kind of like the anti-party. I took like the main guys who were showing up every single week and made inverse versions of their characters, like. The lawful good monk had the lawful evil monk on the evil party and so on and so forth. And they kept kind of bumping into each other without actually having any direct conflict, except for uh, this one guy. I just decided to play with a character and made a character that multiclassed five times just so I could do it. But every single encounter they had, they ended up killing the guy. And every single time he'd ended up coming back. And the third time it happened, I still remember the character going, why won't this motherfucker stay dead? <laughs> and it was just that moment I realized, okay, this, they're invested. They want to know what's going on here and why they hit this. Because they kept asking. They st immediately started brainstorming after they saw him come back the third time. What? How is he still coming back every time? Yeah, this is a problem. We need to figure out how to stop this. <laughs> yeah. My, Michael, do you, have a, do you have a story you can tell us about the moment you realized you were invested in a long-term campaign? Was there Was there a moment you knew... You're like, this is, I, I am invested. I am fully interested in what's going on and, and I want to see what happens next. With, well, let's go to the, let's go to the one that I was, that I have the most vested in, Shadows Angeles. And I'm trying to think, I mean, the smart ass answer is pretty much from session one. On the flip side, 
I was pretty invested from session one. It was, uh, I'd never been with a GM who ran like you did. Uh, that was a different, it was a, it was a, you were a much more engaging game master than a lot of people I'd, I'd, I'd game with. It was also the group, the characters, it was the concept. There was a lot of things going on that really pulled me in. And uh, I think, I think by about six sessions, I knew, man, this was just, this was just pretty awesome. And, you know, and when, and when you were to ask us or challenge us with things like, you know, I'm going to summon the raven and ask and ask it a question. And in order to answer the question, is I have to tell it a secret. And you're like, okay, so you got to tell me something nobody else knows. And I start thinking, and I'm realizing, you know, much like writers like Stephen King will say, I didn't expect the character to do this. I'm sitting there going, you know, I Jama, you know, I just come to realize Jama actually is in love with the paladin on the team, even though she knows it's impossible. I've, I've become this invested in the game and the character and. And 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 the character's actions and and how she relates to the rest of the party, you know. I uh, yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, that's a that's a great moment. You so you you had the realization you're invested when you were asked to sort of you know give up some information about the character you hadn't thought of before, and it caused you to think about the character in a totally different environment, uh, totally different light. Yeah, and it made me realize. Something where I was like, yeah, you know, I think that's how she feels. That's how the character is. It's that and, epiphany, that that moment of realization, yeah. I think, that a lot of game masters love to see. And, uh, yeah, it's, it was um, actually when I was playing Chrysene in the most recent version of the game, too, where I ended up telling the GM, she's not very happy. And, and I know why, because the character has a daughter. And I've become very protective of this fictional daughter that this character has. <laughs> and people are trying to mess with the city. You know, she's going to protect her daughter. <laughs> So yeah, investment's really important. It's it's definitely that moment when you say yes, I am here, and this this long term campaign is important to me, and I, that's what we're talking about when it comes to investment. Now, something else that you got to have for a long term campaign, at least I well, I wouldn't say you got to have it. That's that's probably going too far. Something that for me anyway is is important is the idea of story arcs. This is this is sort of the thing that makes the campaign really interesting, is that there is a story, there is an arc, there is a, 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 a meaningful change in the environment that is usually, typically that is caused by the players or is put into, put into motion by the actions of the players. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, I was, I'm please, sorry. I, please don't make this one of those nights where it just, it's just me talking and you guys nodding your heads. <laughs> no, like, no, uh -huh, no, no, no. Uh -huh. uh, you know, <laughs> I was going to say something. Is, I'm actually, I'm actually really thinking in, about what you're saying. And, um, uh, one of the things I can say, too, is going all the way back to the investment and the motivation. If you're in a long-term game where it is obvious or where the GM... There's there's two things, actually, I think that will keep the players interested. One of which is if it's pretty obvious the GM is receptive to what the player's ideas are and will you know, say, yeah, let's go with that, where the GM does a lot of, well, you tell me. So it shows that you're not just uh, running around through somebody's, you know, dungeon uh, and seeing the sights. You're actually being more interactive with the world. Um, the other thing is, is that when things that you do in the past crop up again in the present or the future, so you so you realize actions that you've taken have meaning or consequence. Um, and you know, uh, because of the, I actually told a lot, Ross, forty nine sessions so far. 
of Shadows Angeles. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to bring up Shadows Angeles because this is where this is this was uh, the, one of the things that really made me say this is how I want to try to run other games, and, and I'm constantly trying to uh, incorporate these ideas. But you know, we would we would come up with stuff. And we would come up with stuff that wasn't even at the gaming table. Uh, one of the things that kept us invested in the game was uh, something that we call blue booking, which is taken from Aaron Alston's wonderful Strike Force supplement for Hero System. <laughs> um, and it was named after using blue composition books to keep notes in, which eventually they started to pass notes to, the, to not from GM to player, but from player to player. And they started to actually run little adventures or interactions or dialogues of their own. Uh, using the books while players talk to the GM or did other such actions. And with the internet, we've now start doing email interactions that we then send to the main mailing list and uh, things that would, things that we would do in that, that were just the players themselves coming to decisions, you know, that the Ross would look at and grab or, or, or say, yeah, you know, that's perfectly canon. That's valid, you know? And so we felt freedom to uh, make the world richer uh, the other thing is, is that stuff that we would do, Ross would, would take a note of. It's like another GM who, you know, one of his most wisest things was players make the best ad, uh, uh, adventure writers. He would take comments or things that we did and it would show up later. And it made us feel uh, more willing to do things in the future because it showed, hey, if we do something positive, this actually pays off in the future. If we act like a jerk, uh, that will come back to bite us in the future. So it sounds like you're you're bringing up two different things here, and I just want to quickly define and make sure we're talking about the same thing. It sounds like you're talking about continuity and agency. Agency being the the ability of you to have an imp, a lasting impact on the world, and continuity meaning that things uh, that that change are then carried forward over the length of the campaign. Yes, but I think both of those help with one of the primary ingredients of a long term campaign, which is keeping the players interested and invested. Because if you're running through a game where uh, the term that I think got bantered about was, you know, I think we're just guest starring in this guy's fanfic. Are, <laughs> are we are, yeah. are we are. Um, That's usually a sign of not enough uh, agency. I, I have, yeah. I have actually uh, given someone had asked advice of me saying, Hey, I've got this DM that's doing this. What should I do? I send them a link to Amazon, how to write a novel books. And say, give this to your DM, because I think this is what they're wanting to do. Right. I mean, the other part is where you feel like you're playing tourist. We're just here to see the neat things that has been, you know, that's that's plopped down in front of us. But it doesn't matter. Uh, You know, we're we're not integral to the plot. You could take us out and replace us with a bunch of, you know, stand-ins, and things will probably work out the same way. You fools! You've captured their stunt doubles! Yes, yes. You know, and and in both cases, it's like, uh, you know, the GM is probably having fun because he gets to show off his or he or she gets to show off their setting, their neat NPCs, their monsters, their villains, their this and that. And but the players often feel like they're just going through the motions. But if you feel confident that you can do something and the GM's going to go, well, um, you know, the, the prime example for us is is Jama figuring out to get to the vault an hour, you know, and shutting the game down. I mean, you know, it, it, having you willing to go, well, I don't, I'm going to have to stop here because I didn't expect you to do that. It really actually, I mean, that's one of the things I'm like, man, you know, I felt so awesome. I felt like, you know, 
the when people went, you know, when Jama says something, we listen. You know, uh, you're playing. You don't. It's like, why should I buy detection? And Ross is like, why? You don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> the carrot. You've been playing the carrot. You've been deducing on your own. You don't need to buy the skill. <laughs> but um, that really. It's not that I won over Ross, but man, I felt like, yeah, this is my character is just rocking. Let's keep going. This is awesome. You felt and, that you felt validated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thank you. That's the term, you know. And yeah. and if you can because you know, it used to be, I remember uh Tumahars and and other stuff where it was like, oh, it's me versus the GM or or the GM, you know, killer GMs and and did I lit survive or you know, I killed this many players and 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 I, oh, I don't want to play that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You killed players? As player characters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody it's else different. said that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and 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 um so I think one of the things that's gonna make a long-term campaign viable is the trust between both sides. Is there is the, the player the GM trusts the players to have characters and invest in in the setting and have characters that are that are integral or part of the setting. And the players can trust the GM that to, you know, to do things, change the world and, and, and try to incorporate those changes as, as they go forward so that um, both sides can feel, you know, pretty cool. Uh, you know, these guys are enjoying my game. They're enjoying my setting. This is awesome. They're liking everything I'm, I'm doing. I'm challenging them. They're rising to these challenges and the players are like, man, this is cool. We're, we're able to, we're, we're making progress. We're going somewhere. Things are happening. We can see changes. We try to do it. Um, and sometimes it's little things going back to, you know, shadows Angeles. Uh, I remember Ross was trying to, you know, give us an idea of how miserable things were. We come into a, the paladin and the sorceress walk into a hospital. We see all these riot police and all these, you know, normal non paranormal police that are, that are just day by day, you know, paycheck cops. Sorry. I'm, 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 I'm just riots. picturing Groucho Marx with a cigar. So a patient in the paladin walk into a hospital, eh? <laughs> but, a paladin and a sorceress they walk into a hospital you know but like everybody's overloaded nobody's helping them and i remember you know Ra uh, uh, me i'm the sorceress and nestor rodriguez is playing the paladin and we both have enchanted weapons that can cut through stuff pretty easily you know a sword and a, and a short dagger we're, we're like so these guys they're nobody's helping them with anything they're vending machines we end up cutting <laughs> open the vending machines to start handing out drinks and snacks and you know everything and somebody, you know, one of the, he, Ross has one of the guys, one of the doctors or nurses complaining, like, well, you can build this. <laughs> and then later on, understand, this installation has a very high dollar value attached to it. That's right. <laughs> so, like, 12, 14 sessions later, we go from single digits to, to in the 20s. There's a, you know, our characters are all pretty much put on the most wanted list because there's a civil war going on. And two of one of us gets arrested, and uh, and Ross points out, well, they take your gear away, they put you in a cell, they give you this, they give you this, and you don't get hit with tasers and beaten with nightsticks because they kind of remember what you did for them, and they're willing to cut you a little slack. And you know, it was like, and it was kind of that that was that that bit of you know, he remembers something from this many episodes ago, but kicks it forward and and brings it around. And then he points to the one of the, basically one of the other players. He goes, well, yeah, you know, what about me? Oh, they would have beaten the crap out of you because you always act like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think what you're saying is continuity is more important in a long-term campaign than yes, in a short-term. Yes, it term. is. It okay. is. Yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think, um, I think 
continuity is what's going to help a long-term campaign. Uh, Not just more important, but more effective. More effective, yes. In a a long-term game. Well, I wanted to – go ahead. And and, and actually, it becomes even more important when you are doing something uh, as Shadows Angeles has had four different arcs with three different GMs because I'm running something and I talk to Nestor Rodriguez and I say, yeah – the new character, this character that this player character that you've just met, that your character from the last campaign, your who you're running as an NPC at the moment, is meeting a player from the character from the new campaign, and you recognize something odd about this character. And I go, and he goes like, "What? Well, you felt this energy, this this holy presence before. When? Oh, remember that church that we were in in Shadows <laughs> Angeles too? And he's like, "Oh, oh." You, oh my, and I was like, yeah, this character's part angel. Because remember the, the the religious guys captured an angel? And he just flips out. <laughs> and that's part of it right there. If you can carry the continuity over from campaign to campaign, much like you were talking about with, oh, you killed the kings or everything's chaos. I mean, players really, I think the players really appreciate that. You know, they'll, 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 they might flip, but they're going to be like, oh my God, he pulled that thing back. I remember that. Oh man. And, you know, it really, once again, it's all feeds on the enthusiasm. It feeds on itself. And, and it makes me go, yeah, man, I just made these guys, like, go pale. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we could probably do a whole episode on validation or agency or continuity. I mean, a lot of these terms we're bringing up are really they're, – they're a lot more involved than we can spend a lot of time defining and getting into. But I think they're all important and, and protect, you know, making sure your, your characters feel like protagonists, which is a lot of things that I think you were bringing up there. Yes. The, I'm, what I, I, I'm hoping I'm not rambling. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's fine. Uh, I just wanted to make sure and mention um, one thing that I found important to me when I was doing long-term games was the idea of a story arc. And just a really it, – it can be a really short thing. And what I mean by a story arc for me, when I, when I write up a story arc for a long-term campaign, it's, it's typically focused around an individual character. And it's part of validation and it's part of protagonist and it's part of spotlight because I think if you give each character – something that's important to them over a long-term campaign, it will enhance the feeling of an overall, uh, you know, it'll enhance that continuity because it's not just something that happened. It's something that happened to them or it's something that happened because of them. You know, it, it, it relates it more personally to an individual player. For example, when I did a, well, actually it, a good example is the birthright came down running right now. And just about every episode, I'm doing like a short story arc for an individual character or I'm trying to build in uh, what they call plots and subplots. There's a lot of good advice on, in, on what a subplot is, in fact, in uh, Strikeforce, which uh, Michael mentioned. So I have, I have a, an idea in my head where I'll try to build things around a character. Like I have a, a game of Birthright we ran just a little while ago that was based around my friend Bryant Smith's character. And there's a big thing we're having coming up with uh, very soon that's going to kind of resolve this this ongoing thing I've been doing with Brian's character. And that's fine. I mean, it's not to say I won't ever come back to Brian's character. It's not to say that I won't ever like talk about him again. But he's going to feel like he had his moment, right, when this is over. He's going to look back, and if we have continuity, if we have something that calls back to this particular episode, I think Brian's going to find it very investing. Yeah, that's something that's re- that's really a strength of the long-term campaign compared to uh, shorter or one-shots is that you're allowed more time to put more focus on each individual character in the game. For example, if I'm running, say, I know I'm only going to do three sessions of this campaign. That's it. 
then I've got to make sure that each player at the table has their moment for their character to shine over those three sessions. So that's going to lead to a lot of things where, okay, this is player A and player B's character is the ones that are going to shine in this particular encounter or scene or whatever. But if I have a long-term campaign, I can focus a lot more time on each individual character. Okay, this is the main character in this one. It's all about their character, but it's not excluding everyone else. It's still involving them, and each other character is going to get a moment to shine later on. Absolutely. Yes. Speaking of characters, one thing I love about long-term campaigns is the amount of character development you get to do. I love the fact that you can take a character that starts out as I, you know, I've said this before and I want to, I don't want to keep repeating it, but you start out one place, you end up a different place. And I'm going to give you an example. I played in a game where we went from first level to 17th level. This was early third edition Dungeons Dragons. And my character started out as a farm girl straight off of an orchard. Okay. She was a fighter, right? That was like her one class. And by the time we got to 17th level, I had traveled the plains. I had made freeing slaves my lifelong goal, right, <laughs> across, the, across the multiverse, right? I had become a foster mother to a goddess. And I had helped free an entire nation from the domination of an evil god. And you look at that and you're like, wow, I am so different now. I am no longer naive, I am no longer just looking for adventure. I have a goal and a reason in life and a purpose. And I know what this character is going to be doing 10 years from now. Because I had these, you know, this really long campaign that took me from one place and I ended up so, so different. Daryl, have you had something like that happen to you? Um, not in quite as much fun of a way. A babysitter. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, babysitter, yeah, maybe not the best by, by example. The by the time this goes up, I don't know how many of the episodes are going to happen, but everyone knows I dropped out of the Shadowrun game because basically I felt like I was spending all my time trying to keep Babysitter a playable character, and it's been a long time. Brandon and I have worked out any sort of remote issues that we had over that, but uh, basically it was Brandon had a different idea of what to do with the character in the campaign than I did. And that's where something we say all the time on here, communication is important, but I haven't had that much as a player because I've never gotten to play much, but I have seen it happen in characters in my games. Uh, for example, my friend James that I brought up several times before, he almost always plays rogues and he almost always plays the same type of rogue. He plays basically the orphan street urchin. Every single time. So he almost always starts off this character as he's living on the streets, picking pockets just to get stale bread because he needs a couple coppers just so we can eat every single day. And then he gets swept up into all these things that happen and it just grows bigger and bigger to the point where uh, the last campaign he was in that I ran for any significant amount of time, uh, his character was... Uh, Basically, the savior of the trolls who had a following, a cult following of full-out trolls in the middle of the Underdark that worshipped him as their savior, literally. Oh, yeah. I remember you talking about this guy. Yeah, uh, he saved the trolls from basically being a food source. And uh, he also had uh, boots of spider climb. So the guy was basically hanging upside down in caves, sniping people in combat in the middle of the Underdark, trying to overthrow a drow plot to rule the world while being the savior of trolls. And 
all from he started off as little street urchin kid. And the character and the character's personality kept growing and growing in confidence too. He went from really paranoid, really shy, didn't really talk much to he was he ended up becoming and this is more James the player than James the character, but I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. Here. Did he end up did he end up like uh, you know, there will be one day the strength of men fails, but that is not this day. No, right? it's it's more along the lines of what are you doing? That's stupid, get the fuck out of my way. I'm trying to take a shot. You get over there and attack that one while I take this one out. <laughs> Okay, a little more vulgar not, than not, Thaden, not quite. Right. Not, yeah, not quite. He wasn't. <laughs> he never became a noble character by any way, shape, or form. He just got a lot more confident in being right. able to speak up and say, "Hey, guys, you're doing it wrong. Do it the way I say, and we'll live." <laughs> now, M- M- Michael's got a character that actually had a very similar path. Hmm. Uh, Jama started out very shy. Uh, no, no. Actually, she started out um, quiet. She, well, she was quiet mainly because I wasn't, I was not going to try to, I'm not one of these guys who jumps in and starts, uh, it's my personality. I mean, she did have the, uh, uh, unrepented show off. So she liked to use spells for minor things like straightening up her desk, taking showers and cleaning the car. But yeah, she, she, she wasn't particularly, she didn't go around giving orders and things. She, she pretty much was the, uh, follower and, and wasn't certain what's going on. Um, and I still remember the email of what do you guys think? We're, where do you think we're all going to be when once the campaign's over? And my comment was, oh, I think uh, John would make a good instructor at the uh, XWAT Academy. And Ross and I both know how that character ended up. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's what I'm asking is like, can you tell us like about okay. her character development, right? Because she, so, over the course of 24 sessions, she changed a lot. Yeah. Um, she was the, uh, so the reason why I picked, okay, so let, that's a little background. So Ross comes and says he wants to run a Mystic Cops game or Magic Cops game like Sh- uh, Silent Mobius, which <clears throat> is possibly, which was my biggest favorite anime manga back. And that whole genre, Hyper Police, Helsing, um, you know, the, the guys, the uh, Mystic or Magic Police Force fighting strange monsters uh, is something I, I really like. I find a lot of gaming potential in that. So my brain locks up and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do for a character, which is kind of ridiculous. So I ask, you know, well, what's on the team? This. And I said, huh, no magician and everybody's a guy. All right. So I'll play the female character and she'll be a magician. And as the game started out, she was pretty much the bookish. She always was the bookish type. She had actually gone to college. She had, you know, married, majored in theology and so on. And, um, Uh, did a lot of research and such and wasn't really a super powerhouse compared to a lot of the other characters. She didn't have a magic sword. She didn't have a mecha. She didn't have big gun, a big gun or, or, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, but as she got more competent, more capable, and as the, you know, and as I grew in capability and I became more confident and more familiar with the GM and the players, she started to become more of a force to be reckoned with. She started to research things, figure things out. I took notes like a mad person, presuming that she could, she could remember a lot of this stuff, started figuring things out, started offering suggestions and saying, we should do this. <clears throat> and the players and the players and the, and the player characters, you know, started to listen. And the funny thing is, is that the way I played her as a person, so she wasn't, you know, it's like uh, she wasn't, 
um, no, I broke a nail, I must whine. And she also wasn't, oh, I hate men or anything like that. You know, and I think she could, some people said she came across really realistic, which made a lot of the other players protective of her. Uh, sort of not like we have to keep her from harm, but more like somebody from, you know, internal affairs was giving her a t- hassle. We should make that guy disappear. <laughs> and the paladin is saying this. <laughs> um, yeah, to quote uh, George R. R. Martin, I've always been under the impression that women were people. Yeah. So, you know, this did culminate at one point in me, in the middle of a, of a play session, uh, I really felt like we were being manipulated. So I grabbed the guy next to me, who happens to be Nestor playing the paladin, and I take him outside. And I say, we've got to do this. We're, our time is being wasted. Something is happening here, and that's why we're here doing nothing. Now, what the, and I, that's not what I said, but I'm trying to explain to the listeners what I was trying to get across. And what the players, the other players in the GM here inside the apartment is the paladin go very loudly, oh, shit. We walk <laughs> in, I look over at the team leader and say, we have to go there. And he's like, okay. So yeah, he didn't said, ask like, any he, questions. Didn't he, did, was he, no, he, no, it was like, okay, Java says we have to be at the vault now. We're going. <laughs> I mean, even not, no, we, and then we get there and we find, we managed to stop a guy from uh, trying to smuggle out every mystic artifact being locked up, you know, and it was, that was that, that was that awesome moment I talked about earlier where, you know, Ross went, okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to stop it now. Um, and, and by the end of 26 sessions, you had actually become, the leader, your Jama had actually become uh, the leader of the yeah. this organization. She she became director director right. of the of the XWAT Mystic Police Department, which was nowhere, nothing in my radar. It it, it, it was I wasn't even twenty sessions in thinking that was going to happen, but we happened to have another mate. We happened to have Yaris Underwood running um, Lieutenant Hem- uh, Lieutenant Hemmelshot who was a great manipulator and behind the scenes mover. And, and, and he decided, and actually he and another player character by the name of Grady kind of said, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> now, but what I'm getting at is that this character development though, is something that couldn't have happened in a shorter term or no, it, wouldn't, it no. wouldn't have had the same impact. In a it, term. it wouldn't have felt as it wouldn't have felt natural. It felt forced. It was, it wouldn't have had the same sense of, of, wow, I think, you know, that, when it was all done, when I look back and I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I never could have predicted or expected that. And it was just mind boggling. Okay. Let's, let's ask another question here. Cause I think we've said some great stories and stuff, but the, the question I want to ask is, are there some games that are mechanically better suited for a longer campaign than a shorter one? Uh, first immediately to my mind is D and D. There's a reason it goes from level one to 20. That is certainly kind of a built in guide. I would say yep. that it kind of tells the player that you, you know, that you, you, these kind of things are at least possible. And maybe, you know, it, it may not be necessarily what you need to strive for, but it definitely uh, proposes that. Michael, can you think of any games that mechanically sort of kind of lean towards those longer campaigns? Sure, champions. It's your system. It's <laughs> open endedness, and the way characters are built, you can slowly or quickly improve. And, you know, change and expand on your character from, you know, and just keep adding to them if, if you're if you're willing, you know, if, you, if you're willing to work with it. It's much like D&D. You can continue to level up in depth. It just it just the threats can get bigger. You can go from the Fantastic Four kind of dealing with. Well, actually, they always kind of dealt with cosmic stuff. But, yeah. you know, X, actually the X-Men where they all five of them fight just Magneto 
to six or seven or eight of them are out with the Shi'ar and the brood, and they're getting engaged in cosmic uh, issues over time as, as they get more powerful and more uh, complex and more diverse. Or Spider-Man going from uh, fighting Stiltman all the way up to he was involved in the Secret Wars. Yeah. And then made yeah. a deal with the devil. But we don't talk about that. That's right. Uh, and, and then became an Avenger and punched uh, punched Wolverine out a window. That was before the deal with the devil, but okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So I think we could probably talk about, you know, in the broader sense, well, there's, mechanical there's one other. There's one other one that I really think, I don't know if it's so much built into the system. It kind of is, but definitely into the setting. Uh, World of Darkness really gives you rewards because of the fact that it's, a little bit more of a story-oriented game in general. I mean, it's a storytelling game. They even call it that. But it really gives you more incentive to run those longer games where you have more interaction with NPCs, you're more involved in the world, all the political stuff going on. That really plays out better long-term, I think. Well, I would even go mechanically the old World of Darkness. Um, well, certainly World of Darkness in general is suited for longer campaigns because it has a lot of um, the background skills that are more useful in longer campaigns. And there's actually, at least from what I recall of playing Werewolf back in the day, there's actually some abilities that are gated based on, you know, rank, which is kind of like yeah. a level. Yeah, even and, in uh, even in Vampire, the disciplines, you level those up. You, it's right. you can start off with a discipline maxed out at five for uh, your generation, but you're basically spending every single right. free resource you have a character creation and get that five. Otherwise you've got to do it through experience points. Which, but what I was, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I want to kind of throw this one out, believe it or not to the listeners. If you out there are listening to this podcast right now and you can think of a campaign, uh, sorry, if you can think of a game that has a lot of mechanics that are suited for a long-term campaign, please write in and let us know. Cause we want to hear from you. You can get you. How can you contact the show? Uh, you can Carol. comment on the website at gamerstavern.org. You can also post on Facebook at facebook.com slash gamerstavern. You can hit us up on Twitter at gamerstavernpc, as in podcast, or you can email us at info at gamerstavern.org. You can also leave a review on iTunes. We look at those too. Yep. So please get back to us. Let us know what you think, because I want to hear, I think there's so many games out there that probably, you know, we, we just are not thinking of for some whatever reason that have great mechanics suited for a long-term campaign. And I'd kind of like to hear about what those are, but let's, let's shift gears a little bit now, because I think we've talked about, you know, kind of defining the terms and talking about what makes a campaign, a long-term campaign great, but let's, let's give the listeners some ideas of the techniques that help a campaign reach that goal. Because I think what happens, I think a lot of people, you know, certainly myself as a game master, I've said, I want to run a really long-term campaign and I just couldn't quite get there. And sometimes that was me. Sometimes it was the group. Sometimes it was, you know, just circumstance like the holidays and momentum and things, those things we talked about before. But what are some techniques if you want to get to that long-term campaign? Um, what are some techniques you can use to get there? Well, I want to jump in real fast because uh, Michael brought up one earlier that is actually in our uh, outline called blue booking. That this is my <laughs> first time hearing that term. Oh yeah, well, blue booking and, is and awesome. I, I'm kind of curious what exactly that means. I mean, you said uh, uh, like uh, campaign journals kind of things. Michael's I, probably the best one to talk about this. Yeah, Michael, what's blue booking? Blue booking um, is the term that we've adapted for character interaction between play sessions via email. This can be origin stories. 
we have a mailing list for our different gaming groups and Shadows Angeles has its own little mailing list on via Yahoo. And um, when this first started, uh, everybody kind of, people, some of us, actually, I'm sorry, uh, let me back up. This got started in cut when I was running the Kaze 5 as a tabletop play uh, game before it became a play-by-mail. But we had the idea of in-between play sessions for characters to do uh, things and it was written as prose because some of us had been involved in an earlier play-by-mail game called Crossover Earth, which had a couple of people in it you may have heard of, like Scott Benny. He's friend <laughs> and, of the show and former guest, Scott Benny. Yes, and turns and and turns were submitted and figured out, but you wrote as a prose story your what happens. Uh, so the, the, the two people who were involved would get together and they would they would write their two superheroes battling it out and whoever won would win. And some of us were familiar with that. So we started doing that when I ran Kaze 5 as a tabletop game. And when Ross started Shadows Angeles, we kind of came to him and said, you know, we do this thing called blue booking and we're going to, we want to, you know, maybe do some, some interaction between turns. And in some cases, some of us just sat down and they wrote, like I wrote JAMA after the first session, want correct staggering into the washroom and and you know i described how she's covered in blood and gore and goop and slime and and feels completely wretched and but we also wrote like origin stories and things little little things of us like walking into the the police station for the first day and finding out where we're supposed to be and well, over time so blue booking grew. so blue booking's basically just you as players without necessarily interaction from the gm but kind of extending the scene a little bit and showing a little bit more about what's happening to the character or how they feel or even just two characters talking to each other. Something that maybe couldn't take place at the table or would be awkward to take place at the table. You do that through an email interaction. So basically it's all the crap I always do in campaigns, but my GMs don't really appreciate for some reason. Well, like our, our blogs for Rafe and, and Babysitter would, would yeah. technically count. But in Shadows Angels, it grew, and we just kept writing more stories and more stories. And hell, the GM, I even got into like writing, like, and here's a little thing that happens before we start tonight's game, right? Kind of stuff. To give you an idea how 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 it was, there were a total of seven players, usually about six and six players. There were usually six players at any one time, seven players total, with Ross that makes eight people. Over the course of about one year, we wrote 8,000 emails <laughs> or something like that. The numbers were ridiculous. Well, for we're talking 24 we're talking sessions and like 90 different stories. 96 different stories. Yeah. I think I said and it was Ross, like hundreds of megs on the, the website or something. Yes, it's, 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 it's a lot. And then when Ross started Shadows Angeles 2, before he had even run a session, there had been 21 origin <laughs> stories. And Ross wrote some snippets introducing some of the villains. You know, one of the guys decided he, his character his character from the previous campaign had died, so there was a funeral scene. There was like three or four little side bits where the characters argued and talked, and, and new characters were introduced, and they met old characters, and all of this stuff going on. 21 little blue book stories before he'd even we'd even sat down and thrown dice on the table. Now, Jake Burgess, friend of the show and former guest who's you know talked to us about artwork a while back, he's actually doing this in my birthright game right now, where he'll send out little uh, Michael would call them omake, which is basically little vignettes of him talking in character to some of the other characters and just sort of discussing what had happened in the last game. 
Uh, for the non-anime yeah. fans out there, the term omake comes from uh, manga and anime, where if they had like 30 seconds to fill in the anime show, or if they had a page to fill, or even just in the margins, uh, the uh, mangaka would draw little things, little short vignettes. Yeah. So I love blue booking, and I definitely recommend it. It's a great way to keep that energy, as we talked about, going, keep that momentum going between your characters. It sounds like something that would be great for when we're talking about one of the pitfalls of a long campaign is the dreaded the holidays are coming up or finals are coming up or someone's going on summer vacation when you're not going to be playing regularly like you used to you're still going to have your phone with you you're still going to have your laptop with you you're still going to have your tablet with you play out a session in email play write a short story well it doesn't Uh, have to be a session it could just be like he was saying you know i want to talk about how my character felt after that last battle or by session i meant like just a conversation in character sure yeah it can be any of those things but and this is an important note to to keep a record of all this to keep an idea of what what this is all going on it's important to have michael a camp a campaign website (laughs) yeah talk to us about a campaign website um it, uh, I do th- actually, actually, I th- um, I'm going to look at, actually, give me a second here. I am going to jump to one of the websites and I'll tell you some of the things I think that, uh, are, we put into ours. <laughs> so I'm going to look at, I'm looking at the original Shadows Angeles Tales of the Night Squad website. It, it includes, includes it a includes, record of all the characters. Yep, it includes all the record of all the characters. It includes all of Ross's little background articles and notes. It includes the, sh- the soundtracks and the timeline that we put together. Equipment. It includes character sheets. It includes session um, recaps. It includes all ninety stories. It includes uh, pictures and other little elements. Um, it becomes a pretty serious and important archive that. When you're kind of bored or you're, 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 you know, like me, I'd be bored sometimes at work, not having anything to do in IT, like right around this time, I would go and read past stories and it would kind of go, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was really cool. I liked what we did there. And or you'd find it, a picture that represents yeah. an NPC or a monster and you'd throw it up on the site and be like, hey, guys, here's what I think so-and-so looks like. Right. And and other people would contribute. And that's another way to keep the thing going because it it it, it – quantifies what you've been doing and it makes you realize, you know, we've accomplished an awful lot. We've done an awful lot. And I think that helps keep the enthusiasm going because it, it takes your actions out of a, out of a possible vacuum as you perceive it. And it sort of puts it down and you kind of get a sense of scale. Well, it also opportunities like for things like Daryl's guys who are like, man, this dude keeps coming back to life. How do we, what are we going to do about that? Right, it gives you an opportunity to start planning things. Although that can be done just over email, but it, a campaign website can be helpful <laughs> to yes. kind of keep track of of what's been done so far. Especially if you want to do that in character and discuss it in character, or make plans, or make you know preparations, those kinds of things. And and you can also it also helps for those who are plumbers, as as I believe uh, Aaron Olson described it, who want to really investigate what's going on. You can start looking around. And you can start, you know, rereading old stuff, taking a look at GM uh, vignettes that he's posted about things that are going to happen before a game, and start trying to mine things for information. So it can fulfill a lot of different needs. Um, it's not hard to put together. You know, you can use a lot of – there's a lot of simple – you can do it in WordPress quite easily. You know, Obsidian you might, Portal offers uh, yeah. opportunities to make a campaign website very easily. Uh, uh, I used uh, Wikia.com for one of my games. Yeah. And Live Journal, of course. Yes. 
There's um, you, could, you, you could actually even do it with a uh, limited access Facebook, but not everybody's on Facebook, so that might be a bit of a problem. And, and of course, we had a lot of versatility out of our free Yahoo group that we made for yeah. Um, in fact, Yahoo uh, Yahoo groups. Uh, I'm not sure about how Google does it, but Yahoo groups. Um, it's you know you can actually uh, if you're willing to work at it, you can archive all the pictures and and and, and stories and everything, pops in text form, just simple text. But uh, you can uh, in the file section, you can put everything in there, um, and 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 make it a one stop. Here's everything we need to know, archived and, and placed. Now, is, uh, course, is, is Yahoo group groups still around? Well, yeah, Google, Google Groups, I think, now is a thing. No, it's it's still Yahoo. Well, no. I think there's also a Google Groups. Yeah, yeah there is one of those as well. I, I just remember reading something a while back about Yahoo Groups was being shut down or something about two years now, ago, we, three we years ago. We talked earlier about how important continuity is in a long-term game. But the downside of continuity is it can get a little unwieldy from time to time. So I would say something can help your campaign out is using recaps. Just so. a brief... So Sorry. Lord Regis has returned. Who? Well, you know, it can be just at the start of the game. You say, when we last left our heroes, and just have a few bullet points of the things that they did last time that are important for the upcoming adventure. Like you say, you know, Lord So-and-So's returned. Who is that guy? Well, if you have a recap before saying he's that, you know, that you were hired by Lord So-and-So to do these things, they'll say, oh, yeah, that guy. I, I think, in fact, um, depending on the type of campaign you're running, um, you can actually really get the sense across. Like, for example, Shadows Angeles was quite obviously a Japanese anime series. So on a previous episode, <laughs> yeah, um, we'll the, the other thing I think you can do too with those recaps is you can play the, uh, oh, I can't remember the term is, but, you know, you can say, as you know, this, you know, Lord Regis is, you know, you do the recap or you do the info dump, but you uh, kind of lampshade it. So you, it, I'm telling you something you already know, but the listeners or the players don't know this. Um, you can help with that. Absolutely. Uh, what are some other ways you can help keep things fresh and avoid burnout in a long-term campaign? Take a break. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be a smart ass, but um, I think, I think uh, if you're feeling, if the GM is feeling burned, but, but he's burned because he just needs a break, Take a break, play something else for six sessions, energize your mind, uh, gather your notes, then go, hey, you know, I'm ready to go back. Um, well, and if you can waste things to do that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Let's just say there's ways to do that without stopping everything. And I was going to say a good example is actually something we did, again, in Shadows Angeles, where <laughs> I needed a break and I asked Michael to run the next session. So I didn't. we didn't stop playing Shadows Angeles. I just took out myself as a GM and put someone else in for a single session to give myself a little extra time. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. And that's actually, um, I mean, that's actually a way to do it too. Uh, let, you know, let the other players do a side story in the same setting. Um, and it gives you a chance to play and it gets them a chance to play in your, in the setting as GM. That would work very well. Could work very well. I would also recommend, uh, if you can find a board game that's vaguely related to what you're doing, uh, for example, if you're playing a political game in Waterdeep, Lords of Waterdeep. Lords of Waterdeep. If you're if you're playing something that's very arena gladiator oriented in Dark Sun, Spartacus. If you are playing something that's more along the lines of Birthright, where it's more big war campaign, Breakout Risk. Or if you're playing something like Shadowrun and you're you know kind of searching for information or something along those lines, Netrunner. Or uh, Shadowrun. Hackers. What's what's the uh, Shadowrun? Shadowrun Crossfire. Crossfire, yeah. that's the one. 
or uh, hopefully coming out very soon, Sprawlgangers. <laughs> yes, hopefully coming out soon. Um, uh, I think actually another thing is to shake things up. Consider a, a time jump. Consider a time skip. I uh, did exactly that. Uh, yeah, consider you know like maybe just give everybody a couple of levels and say, okay, you know what? Let's let's jump forward a little bit. Let's let's uh, you know. Uh, we're grinding through and some lower levels. And you know what? I really want you guys to be a high enough level to run this cool module that I have. So let's just do a time skip and we'll kind of, you know, spend a session figuring out what people have been doing and where they went, but let's jump it forward a little bit and, and, and move, move things along. If we feel we're stuck in a rut. And you don't even have to go that far up. Uh, one thing that I did, uh, I've talked about this before on the show, so I'm going to be brief, but, uh, I have three things I do when my ki- when my players start to annoy me in a game, and this was starting to happen. I wanted to run a big heroic campaign, and I wanted to run like Into the Darkness and the Vault of the Drow and all that stuff. And they showed up with evil characters, and so I'm like, okay, well I'll just do. They're fighting a bigger evil. You can't take over the world till I've done it, sort of game. And it was starting to get frustrating. It was weighing me down. So I'm like, okay, let's shake things up a little bit. There's three ways I typically do that. One, I run a one-shot. Some other game system, something else. Uh, one thing that's great if you're a DM and your players are just, they're getting a little stir-crazy and they're starting to go off the rails a little bit, run a game of Paranoia and take your frustrations out on them. Or Fiasco. <laughs> Fiasco is another good one for doing that, and it also allows you to play because it's a DMless game. Uh, uh, the other trick I do is, this one is more of a, okay, guys, I'm done with this campaign. You walk into this cave and you see a, de- a green demon's head with a mouth of pure black in it. And basically, <laughs> I run them through two mahors. Uh, but the third one, and this is the one I took, was, okay, you guys are in the caves of the Underdark. And you're walking around. And there's a fog down here. And you walk out. All of a sudden, you're in a forest. And I dumped them in Ravenloft for about three or four sessions. Because it just completely shook everything up. They went from a kind of dungeon crawly exploration, uh, political fighting the drow thing to, oh, hey, now we're doing Ravenloft. Completely different. And it kind of reinvigorated things. And then I had the mists send them right back, a weekend in hell, as they called it back in the day. And it worked really well. It let them grind out a few levels because they were kind of worried for blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way to do it. I I have a couple of quick stories I want to share about that as well. I was running a superhero game back in the day, and I had some friends of mine, and we were just playing it all the time. And I had reached a point where I was like, oh, God, I'm starting to get burned out. So I sat down, and I said, I don't really want to do another adventure with these guys. And I passed out a bunch of cards, index cards, that I had written down information on. And the next game we started up, I handed those out, and everybody was like, oh, they were playing – their evil doppelganger in the alternate <laughs> universe. They, they, we started the game in the mirror universe, them, and, and they were playing as themselves but evil, trying to break through that barrier and go back to the main and invade the main campaign setting. That's something else. I did something very similar to that. Uh, in that same Pathfinder game, uh, I needed to info dump a bunch of stuff on them, but I didn't want to just, I couldn't figure out a way to get it to them in any way, shape, or form. So I had them all, okay, you guys are asleep, and when you wake up, Okay, here are your characters. You're playing this, you're playing this, and I handed out a bunch. We were playing a Pathfinder game. I handed out a bunch of fourth edition character sheets, and they were playing the drow from a hundred years back that they had been fighting this whole time. So they were now the PCs in this flashback dream sequence 
And it was just a one-shot campaign, completely different rule set, so it wasn't as nearly as brain-fried trying to remember Pathfinder rules, because now I was trying to remember 4th edition rules, which for some reason are completely different pathways in my brain. But it really helped. Yeah, it doesn't you, – you can just change the tone even with your one shot or your your quick change. Like I, I did this – a very similar thing in a Birthright game that I'd been running a while back where we had gotten some very serious, very deep political stuff. And the next game I handed out everybody a, was playing a goblin and all they were trying to do was get from point A to point B, survive long enough to get there. Right? And it was a complete different tone shift. It was all about having fun and laughing and just kind of screwing around. Or uh, there was another time when I just basically had them all uh, – run afoul of a particular uh, trickster, and they were all shrunk down to four inches high. And the whole adventure was about them getting back to full size. And right? It's just a tonal shift. If you're playing Shadowrun and you've got a very big uh, black trench coat mirror shades campaign going on where it's all sorts of deep stuff, food fight. Or a trip to the Metaplanes. That too. Either way, yeah. I have a I have an adventure specifically for that called All Elves Go to Heaven. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Okay. Um, it, well, it would, this this came out of a, a time when I was pitching a, a series of adventures to Catalyst that were all Mohawk. And it was going to be a, a series of adventures called Mohawks. Mohawk number one was All Elves Go to Heaven. Mohawk number two was Send in the Trolls, so forth and so on. Um, it was going to be great. <laughs> but yeah, so, so keeping it fresh, that's a big deal. What about the play-by-email stuff that we're talking about or the quick solo adventures? What, how, are, how are some ways you can use these things during – things like the holidays or uh, finals weeks to keep people in, uh, on track? One of the things you can do is you can, you can let the players resolve questions or investigate issues that might drag in an actual face-to-face game, but keep them interested, advance the plot, and uh, let them accomplish goals that they can come, they can come back here and come back to the table. Well, I, I did this, I did this, um, and, and that helps move things forward a little bit. But yeah, I'd certainly keep everybody, you know, it's a way to keep people, bring their minds back to the game without actually everybody, with everybody's unable to make it to the game. Well, this could be something as simple as you send an email out with a simple question, like, what does your character feel about X, right? Just have someone think about it during the downtime so that their mind is still working on that, that topic. And, and one, other, one other thing I want to bring up is, of course, this is what made Paizo so popular and powerful as a company is they did these things called adventure paths. So it was, it was like you were, you were getting on on the, on the ground floor of a long-term campaign because you knew that this was a path that was going to go for, you know, eight, 10, 12. I think some of their paths go as far as 15 or 16. They usually go one to at least 16th to 20th level, somewhere around there. They're they're It's like, it's usually, usually they launch one every year. And it's six adventures. And we're talking adventures. They're like 64 to 128 page adventures that they release like uh, every other month. So this is kind of like getting getting your players together and letting them know right off the bat that this is intended to be a long-term campaign. This can also be true for things like mega dungeons. Like if if you say – if I went to you, Daryl, and said, hey, I want to rent a game where you are – we are exploring Undermountain. You know, the original Undermountain. Mm Mm-hmm. You would be like, "Wow, that's a long-term campaign." When? Right? Uh, when are you wanting this for me? <laughs> but no, you see I, what I'm saying, right? No, I, I just did the exact same thing with my local group. Um, I wanted to do a. I've been playing so many games online recently, aside from the game I've been playing with my friend James, that I have been wanting to run a game in person again. It's been a long time, so I flat out told everyone, "Hey guys, I'm going to run the Emerald Spire." 
which is something I brought up on our Dungeon Crawls episode, is what I right. think is one of the best mega dungeons out there. It is level 1 to 14, and I warned them, it's this is what it is, this is the type of characters you can play, and I think it's going to fit them, because this is mostly the same group that played in my evil campaign, and again, that starts off in a uh, uh, lawful evil city, so it might suit them a little bit better, I don't know. And again, I want to point out one we've talked about briefly back when we had Rich Baker on the show, it's called The Red Hand of Doom, and it is just a brilliant uh, 3.5 third edition uh not really a mega dungeon, but it's sort of an adventure path in a, in one single Yeah, it's like volume. a strung together adventures. Um, yeah, they're really good. And of course, the quintessential example of that is uh, Queen of the Demon Web. Uh, or, sorry, Queen of, Queen of the Spiders. Uh, that was the GDQ modules back in first edition. Yeah, wow, that's that is reaching way back, but that's those are linked. It's true, and you if you if you say to someone we're going to play all of them, that again kind of sets up the idea that you're doing a, a we're, we're going to be doing this for a while, guys. This is we're getting on the train, and the train is going to take us a long way. <laughs> and that can actually help out players when they're trying to make characters because it get, it lets them know right up front you don't have to front load your character. You can plan for the long term. You can make a character that's going to be a little bit weaker. At right. first, second, third, fourth, fifth level, because you're planning, you're setting up something. This is for the guys who are the more crunchy oriented people. Let them know, hey, you're going to work towards something when you get to eighth. You're, we're going to eighth, tenth, twelfth, fifteenth level. So you can plan long term on this. Play the long game. Well, that's also true, though, for the character stories themselves. And this is something I really like to do is I like to make sure that the characters are driving the stories. It's, it's about pacing and it's about investment and it's about agency. But it all kind of boils down to letting the characters say, what do you guys want to do? Right? What's important to you? Maybe that's just an email question you send out to somebody. But it can also be a thing of when you're going to take that, that, first, that first adventure even and bring it to a close – you make sure that it, there's an opening there that the player characters can say, you know, maybe Lord Regis did get away, but I have, you know, he, that that son of a bitch, he owes me money. We're going to go after him, right? And the GM doesn't say, no, you can't. The GM's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good, right? So if they're thinking about it, if they're if these if the story is is being driven by the characters, that's also going to help the campaign last longer because it's going to it's going to keep them invested in what's going to happen next and what and what they want to do next. And Another trick you can do during that downtime, if you're wanting to do that play by email kind of thing, is literally make downtime in the campaign. It's like, okay, you guys have cleared out the dungeon of MacGuffin. You guys are going to have, we're not coming back for three weeks. You guys have three weeks. And then when you break up and go everywhere else, send out emails saying, okay, what do you guys do during the downtime? And I've kind of been dominating this up. Uh, Michael, do you have anything well, hang on. I, I, before oh. you get off that topic, there is, in fact, a product by Evil Beagle Games called oh. Day in the Life Gaming <laughs> the Downtime. And it is an excellent product. It's very cheap right now on DriveThruRPG. Uh, it is $5, okay? But it's a great book on how to, in fact, turn your downtime in the game into a game itself where the player characters can be like saying things like, I'm going to go out and carouse or I'm going to go out and find rumors about where Lord Regis may be hiding. You know, and it can be that great opportunity for them to start blue booking with some mechanical backup for that. And it's a great time to have someone who actually likes playing Deckers but doesn't play one in Shadowrun because it sucks up too much time for the earlier editions of the game. Oh, hey, I'm going to make a Decker character that's going to be a contact for us, and he's going to do all the research for us. Absolutely. Now, one thing that was really important in Shadows Angelus, as far as this goes, was 
downtime itself. Like I made a, a conscious decision not to have places where it, it ended on a cliffhanger very often. I did. I mean, there were occasional cliffhangers, but most of the time I would bring an adventure to a point and say, okay, you guys are now kind of on your own until we pick up again, you know, the next day or when they get out of the hospital. Being in the <laughs> hospital was a big part of Shadows Angeles because they got beat up pretty bad. There are quite a few stories of them going, okay, I'm in the hospital for the next five days. Okay, I'm going to write about what happens to me. So, but having this downtime was that opportunity. Michael, can you, can you comment on that? I think Ross can attest that, uh, especially toward the later end of the game when things got very intense, uh, the Shadows Angeles campaign, when things got very intense and we had a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to decide upon, uh, one or two player, two players or sometimes three players would be talking and he would hear like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this over email. We can figure this out. We can argue. We, we can do X. Uh, we can discuss something. And, uh, it would uh, the players would, could then could then come to a resolution about a problem that maybe had cropped up late or that they that they were had been sitting on their shoulders during the session, and they could come back to the session with the issue resolved. I also know that in one of the follow-up Shadows Angeles campaigns, we had been presented with a problem, but the the GM had given us no solutions. He wasn't he was he was waiting to see what we did, and he later stated that that one of the sessions that came after that was solely because carrot players were blue booking back and forth and the decision was made, well, we're going to do X. And he's like, okay, I better write something that lets them do X because that's not what I was planning on, but they've decided on, on a different course of action. So I think the downtime that, that, you know, like how much time do we have between this session? You think the next session will let people decide what they can do, especially if blue booking has really taken off. And they can they can go okay we can do this we can we can we can talk about this we can write that and they can plan their actions and 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 come back to you maybe an email I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this or they can tell you what they're gonna do before you wrap up for the night and you can sort of use the downtime what they say they're gonna do during the downtime to prep answers and material information that you can give to them maybe by email or maybe during the next session and that's a really good uh, dirty DM trick to pull that Michael just brought up. Uh, and this is just general, whether you're running short-term or long-term, if it's multiple sessions strung together, especially if you're doing anything that's kind of open world or the players are driving what comes up, don't wait until the next session. Okay, so what are you guys going to do and start off the session with that? No, ask them at the end of the session. Okay, we have now completed what you set out to do this session. What are you going to do next? Find out what they're doing and that then gives you a lead to prep for the next game. Yeah, so it's helpful for both the players who now are thinking about and getting invested in what they want to do next. It's also helpful for you as a GM to kind of plan out what, what's going to happen then, right? Well, I actually use this really great in Shadows Angels 2, which was our second run, because they had built up all of this um, writing ahead of time in these blue books that we talked about, about what they wanted to do. They were going to track down why this one guy was missing, and they, they had basically set their entire focus on, we are going to find out why this one guy is missing. And it allowed me to pull a really fun in media in medias res opening with the player characters suddenly finding themselves on top of a hurtling monorail uh, transport car with the weakest member of the party holding someone barely dangling <laughs> off the edge saying, don't let me fall. I know where Malachi Brogan is. <laughs> right. And they were all like, yes. they were all just stunned. And they looked at me and they were like, that's awesome. You know, because it was so different from what they had built up in their head of what was going to happen. 
Yes. In Medias Res is something that's really hard to pull off in RPGs. Oh, so hard. It is so, hard. so great when you can do it. And that is a good trick to do to be able to pull that off. Well, I think we're getting close to the end here. The barkeep, Mac, has given me the eye, and the Imperial Guard will be stopping by soon. So I'm going to go ahead and ask us to kind of give our final thoughts on long-term campaigns. Well, there's one type of long-term campaign that we haven't really brought up, and that's kind of the living world campaigns. Okay. And there's one specific example. I just got done today editing the episode uh, where we talked about, this will give you an example about how far behind I am on editing right now, but uh, I just edited when we had Sean Patrick Fannin on talking about the new edition of Dungeons and Dragons, and we talked about what was going on with justice and life. Right. And that, to me, is the quintessential long-term campaign, not only because it is the sort of campaign you can play the same characters over and over and keep building on it, but it also gives you that communal uh, feeling because I play my game here in Orange, Texas. Ross plays his game in Denver, and our two games still affect each other. It can affect the world. Yeah, living campaigns are, are a good way to do that long-term thing as well. Uh, there's the, I think, Pathfinder is Pathfinder Society, mm -hmm. and there's Dungeons Dragons Encounters. Uh, no, uh, d they change it to Adventure League. Adventure League, sorry. Um, what are some other ones that are out there? Did Shadowrun have a living campaign Shadowrun, for a while? Shadowrun has missions, and then there's the unofficial one, which is Runner Hub that we talked about before. Yeah, Runner Hub on, on Reddit. By, by all means, if you are a Shadowrun fan, go check out Runner Hub on Reddit. Yeah, because they actually – you want to talk about direct interaction. I think that they are probably the best at it right now, aside from possibly Justice in Life and Shintar. Because of just how much the fan base is all behind it and how much they contribute to building the world. Absolutely. Daryl, what are your final thoughts on long-term campaigns? If you can do one, please do. <laughs> uh, like I said, it's not something – Sometimes you can usually plan for a long-term campaign and have it fall apart on you. If you take a lot of the advice that we've given you, it hopefully will help you stick a group together long enough to make it to those long-term campaigns. Because it is so rewarding when you pull that off. If you think it's awesome going through a dungeon and beating the end boss of it, you have no idea compared to, I have been working for 15 sessions to get to this asshole and I finally get to stick a sword in his ass? Hell yeah! It is so rewarding. It is so fulfilling to be able to, both as a player playing that sort of campaign as well as a DM run that sort of campaign where you see these changes slowly happen as opposed to having to rush everything. It is absolutely amazing. If you have not had a chance to run a long-term campaign that really has that sort of story arc to it, please do it. Okay. I'm going to give my final thoughts and I'm going to ask Michael to give his final, final thoughts on it. <laughs> um, I think that long-term campaigns, as I said before, are my favorite way to play and I just want to encourage everyone who hasn't tried it before to give it a shot because I think, as we pointed out, there's a lot of really rewarding things in a long-term campaign. Again, they're not the end-all, be-all, and if you love the short-term, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is just so many great memories that I have of the characters and the situations and the stories that I can bring to you from the long-term campaigns and how they can kind of build a community kind of like Shadows Angelus or Shintar has. Um, I, just, I just think you should give it a try. So there's that. Michael? 
uh, I really think you guys have both covered a lot of what I would say. Um, my experiences with long-term campaigns have been mostly as pretty much positive. Uh, I think you find one that's really gelling and things are going well. Uh, you know, it, it, like like our Shadows Angeles game. You know, try to try to run that out to a good logical conclusion. You know, have a good overall campaign concept and arc and story. Get your players invested. Get invested, and it'll build on itself. And it will. You know, you'll end up with a lot of great memories, a lot of great gaming stories, a lot of great characters and moments. Uh, it's worthwhile trying at least once. Uh, uh, something you know, 16, 20, 24 sessions with a with a concrete overall story that you're going to try to present to everybody. And if you put some good work into it, you'll be rewarded with some phenomenal uh, gaming results. All right. Michael, if, if people want to know more about you and what your latest thing is, uh, can you tell us about that and where they can find out more about you on the web? My website uh, is Sir Brooks Stuff. Just put that into Google. I feel lucky. You should pretty much go to it. You can also check the show notes of this episode, and we'll have a link. Absolutely. Also, you can look me up, Michael Serbrook, on Facebook. I'm often talking. When I can talk about what I'm doing, I will talk about my latest gaming projects, especially if publisher is like, yeah, yeah, hype it up, please. <laughs> so if you were a Hero fan, you got to hear an awful lot about what was going into Fantasy Hero Complete as I was developing it. What else and, is uh, on your plate if you could talk about it? Now that I'm done with Fantasy Hero Complete, I believe it's okay to mention that uh, I will be working on adapting with some co-writers and some co-work, uh, some co-authors and developers, the old Australian Games Association setting of Lace and Steel Woo-hoo. for Fantasy Craft. All right. That is excellent. I was able to get a hold of Paul Kidd. I wrote him a very nice proposal letter. We talked to Fantasy Craft or Crafty Games at Gen Con. And uh, in fact, the 28th, we will be getting together so I can show him the outline I wrote and we'll be making decisions. And we'll hopefully have a manuscript and such. I don't know about it'll be published, but we'll have a manuscript uh, hopefully by next Gen Con for them to look at. That is brilliant. Uh, now, Paul Kidd, of course, is the novelist who wrote a really a bunch of great books uh, for TSR and Wizards of the Coast. He wrote, in fact, uh, Daryl probably has heard of the book or knows the campaigns he wrote about. He wrote White Plume Mountain, Descent <laughs> uh, into, into the Depths, the depths of, the of the Earth, and Queen of the Demon Web Pits. And they're all excellent novels. Gee, those sound slightly familiar. Well, the, the, the novels are just phenomenal. And please, if you do me a favor, tell Paul Kidd that I am just an enormous fan. Yes, I actually have my copies. Um, and I've actually picked up through Lulu a couple of his other books. He is an excellent uh, writer, and I do have his Lace and Steel novel, which I highly recommend for those who want a neat take on Musket and Pike, Three Musketeers fantasy. It's called Muss of Curbridge, and it was actually a fun read and gave it a, a nice, neat take on a fantasy setting that's much different from uh, a lot of the more traditional stuff we're seeing uh, out there right now. Is, uh, is that all you can talk about at this time, or is there more? No. Uh, at, you may have, I think on some past shows, I've mentioned a product called uh, Larger Than Life. Larger Than Life Adventures in American Folklore is my examination of 20 major archetypes of American history from 1700 to 1900. Uh, this includes the pirate, the backwoodsman, the continental soldier, the blue water sailor, the occupational hero, the lumberjack, the lawman, and on and on and on and on. That was uh, that's been written. It's been finished. It's been edited, 
Um, it will be going to Kickstarter early next year, so we can print Ooh. not only a Hero Edition, not only a Mutants and Mastodines Edition, but a Savage Worlds Edition. Oh, right. Um, that is excellent. In a, yes. In addition, my Ghosts, Ghouls, and Golems book, which is a guide to primarily European supernatural lore, but it also includes Wendigo and the Arabic Ghoul and Jack the Ripper and Greys and Mothman and even Slenderman. Ooh, is, are Ooh, the Black Eyed uh, Kids in there? Uh, no, I couldn't find enough about them. Oh, <laughs> I love the Black Eyed Kids. I know. It was, it was, I just, the, I actually, uh, I picked six characters. I have uh, Men in Black, Mad Gassers, Greys, Slenderman and Mothman. Uh, who were in there? Okay. Or uh, and I, I just couldn't find enough on Black Eyed Kids to get a to get a to get a that I felt confident in doing justice to the to the urban legends and the myths and the stories to do anything in the book form. Sequel hook. But, but uh, yeah, <laughs> but that book will be undergoing the same treatment. Uh, so that wait, will be wait, coming wait. out. Wait, so I'm going to get to put Slenderman in my Savage Worlds game. Uh, yes. Oh. <laughs> and for those who know my output... That's my Halloween 2015 game, folks. <laughs> and for those who are familiar with my hero system work, I will tell you right now that... And for those who are familiar with Kaze 5 and the character point totals of a couple of, a couple of characters in there, Slenderman is the single most expensive published character I've ever written up for hero. Wow. Jesus. He is just devastating after I went through a couple of wikis on what his character and his origins and, and such were like, that is uh, what I can talk about right now. I will say that uh, I hope early next in the first quarter or so of next year to be able to contact you guys by Facebook or such and say, by the way, I have this coming up. And uh, but that's all I can say about it right now. I've, I've got a tantalizing email that I said yes to, but I can't say anything more. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's going to be awesome and exciting, and I hope you'll let us know when you can talk about that. Yes, I can. And as a last note to Daryl, if you're going to be at Genghis Khan or at Gen Con, I will be running a Shadows Angeles adventure called Shadows Angeles, the house on Shambles Row. That was going to be my final, final thoughts is when do I get to play Shadows Angeles? (laughs) Um, I I don't know if Ross is going to be running a game of it at Genghis Khan and I don't know if he's going to run a special maybe Ross can run another uh, Gen Con special like he did last year but uh, yeah um, I I took the first two sessions of the nine session game that I ran, condensed it down edited it and, uh, and we're going to be using the living and we're going to be using the pre-generated characters that we've continuous that have been used in a number of the Genghis Khan games and I've made tried to make sure that of the six characters, at least three are, are get a lot of focus that haven't gotten a lot of focus before. Uh, but yes, you can you can you can try and see what the camp what the world is like. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna make Gen- uh, Genghis Khan, but I've already made plans for Gen Con already. I'm sitting here. We were on the uh, subreddit for Gen Con planning out our getting a hotel room strategy with a bunch of people today. Um, actually, so. Daryl, uh, I am looking for a room, so if you want to. A roommate who's not very quiet and uh, very. <laughs> uh, well, my last roommate at Gen Con had a CPAP machine, but I was so blitzed most of the nights. Whenever I finally passed out at 4 a.m., uh, 
that was not a problem. However, I'm severely curbing my drinking this year. So well, we're we're going to be recording, I'm sure, at Gen Con just like we did last year. So yes. it's going to be really cool. We're going to have, a, and of course, Michael was in that Gen Con show. <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah. So we'll be doing that again, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. But again, we need to wrap up here, so guys. So. On behalf of the Gamers Tavern, that is Daryl and myself, I want to extend our gratitude to Mike Serbrook for joining us tonight. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. And on behalf of the Gamers Tavern, including Michael Serbrook, I want to wish all of our listeners a very happy holidays, Merry Christmas, New New Year's, depending on whenever you get this episode out. (laughs) We're wishing you a Merry Christmas anyway. Uh, So Merry Christmas from the Gamers Tavern. And until next time, may all your hits be crits.